and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Well, I'm very eager okay. to tell you about TweakedAudio.com. Oh, all right. TweakedAudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. And of course, you and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, recently, usually I said today, but we're recording on a different day. Mm-hmm. Recently, what I've been listening to because I always listen to music by people who have just died. Right. So I've been listening to a lot of Rocky Erickson and 13th Floor Elevators, because Rocky Erickson passed away a couple of days ago. You shake your head, but I feel like you would like Rocky Erickson. Oh, I have no doubt, but I just, (laughs) there's plenty of things that I feel like I would enjoy, but I know nothing about. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, 13th Floor Elevators, sort of a seminal psychedelic rock band, and Rocky Erickson, sort of a seminal rock and roll madman, um, who wrote some really great songs. Uh, that I was listen- literally listening to on the drive uh, here to record it today. Um, but I was also listening to them. That's what I'm saying. Normally I come straight from work where I listen to my tweakedaudio.com earbuds all day at work. And normally, so I was also listening earlier this week at work uh, in my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. It sounded great. And they're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please, Go to tweakedaudio.com, pick out your earbuds, all the stylish styles, all the colorful colors you want. Christmas is just around the corner and use the offer code pretension. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You really drew that last part out there. <laughs> I, I felt like I had rushed through the ad, and I try, sure. I try to give every ad read... A little bit of its own personality so sure. that people don't feel like they're just listening to think me on autopilot. And so I sort of got to the end and realized, like, oh, last like last week you and I talked for, like, f- five full minutes about Madonna in the minute. And then I was like, oh, yes. right, we're doing a tweaked audio ad. Right. So I kind of felt like I had rushed through it. And I was like, well, I got to get this a little personality, yeah. a little character. Got to put some mustard on it. Exactly. Yes. Um Speaking of personality and character, why don't you introduce our guest? Oh, boy. That's maybe the worst transition. Uh, among the people that I am oddly comfortable making fun of all the time, uh, our next guest it's is... not a short list. It's not. Well, that's true. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let's just say in the top ten uh, is... Uh, and taking up two slots of it because he's so fucking tall, uh, is uh, the host of the I Do Movies Badly podcast. It's Jim Rohner. Jim, how you doing? Um, that's a better transition than I thought you were going to say, speaking of mustard, which <laughs> wouldn't have made any sense no. whatsoever. No. I guess the connection like uh, New York and hot dog carts and mustard. Yeah, so yeah. I, was, I was looking for a, a connection there, but there wasn't any. Um, also, I'm, Ballsy Moon just now, it felt like Tyler was about to say your name and yep. you started taking a drink of water. I feel like Tyler had to draw out the uh, yeah. intro. I'm just inspired by you. <laughs> trying to draw the, the, re, the yeah. ad read. Um, it, it, no, it is, I am quite happy to be here. Uh, I, I don't know if I've said this before, Battleship Pretend. Is, is one of my favorite film podcasts. Hmm. Um, okay. So I'm that was uh, <laughs> qualified. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I am as uh, 
as flattered as I can be, given well, <laughs> what you just said. Listen, uh, Look, with, with all due respect, with, right. all, with all the off mic talk, Tyler, I don't know if you deserve flattery at this moment. What are you talking about? You were He was making fun of me as soon as oh, I got that's right. David. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> really wrecking over, yeah. over the coals. Um, I, I showed up and Jim was already like pleading, pleading for mercy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there, there are, before we get into it, there are two important things. I want to address first. David, okay. congratulations to your St. Louis Blues on making the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, and uh, for they also won their first ever Stanley, Stanley Cup, Cup final, uh, game. final yeah. game they, uh, in Game 2, and then they got dating trounced. this recording last night, they got <laughs> they completely got trounced, absolutely trounced at home. Um, but uh, I can say as an ambassador yeah. of the East Coast, everyone is pulling for you and the Blues because the only time anyone roots for Boston is if you live in Boston. So right. everyone is hoping for the Boston Bruins to lose. Yeah, did you see that great map someone posted of like like uh where people are rooting based on what and it was like it was all blues mm. except for illinois and massachusetts and then ontario just had the maple leaves <laughs> so um now obviously it's my job to say go bruins uh, uh, sure, uh, yeah. out of solidarity of course um, but uh yeah, this is. Uh, we won't keep, do too much hockey talk because whenever I am a guest on Jim's podcast, we tend to do about twenty to thirty minutes of hockey talk up top. Correct, and uh, I'm sure you get a lot of uh, glowing praise for that. Well, you're people. assuming that I have listeners that chime in. <laughs> um, I, I've had no complaints about it. Okay, okay. Um, so it, at the very at the best, I guess people are complacent. Um, but another thing I want to talk because I want to I want to because we have a lot to talk about, so I don't want to take up too much of the time at the head. But there's been an atrocity um, oh, that I want to point to. And it's a joke that I made that has gone underappreciated. Okay. Uh, on March 1st, Variety... Of this year, 2019. Of, 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 Mar- of, of this year. Okay. Variety uh, tweeted, Elizabeth Moss circling Universal's Invisible Man. And I responded, how can you tell? Because <laughs> he's invisible. <laughs> yeah, no, I got it. Thank um, you. <laughs> no, no likes on that whatsoever. I just thought that was that was a crime. I wanted to address that in public forum. I have, I have been in that position before. I don't tweet very much, right. uh, but occasionally I will tweet something. Uh, I did get I did get some likes on a recent thing, but I retweeted it because I thought, on one hand, I'm ashamed of the joke, <laughs> yeah. but on the other, I'm the proudest I've ever been of anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it was when I was walking through my kitchen a while ago, and I oh. saw a little jar. Or I'm glad you brought this up because I want to talk to you about the way you structured the tweet. Oh, okay. I think it would have gotten more. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, admittedly, I had, that was the problem is that like I was on my way out the door. I saw a little tin of, I, I believe it was what, baking soda? Uh, they make a lot of stuff. They make corn oh, okay. yeah, yeah. It was, it was Clabber Girl and my first thought when I, again, it was like, I've seen that a million times. And yet somehow this time I just thought of Bob Peck as Robert Muldoon in Jurassic Park saying, clap a girl. (laughs) And so, and I was like, I need to latch on to this, but I was also in a hurry. But here's what you did. And so, okay, what did I do? You captioned it. You put the, picture of the clapper girl and mm-hmm. just a picture of Muldoon yeah. next to each other. Muldoon and at the moment that he says moment, that which line. Which is perfect. Yes. Mm. Perfect thing. But then you captioned it something like this is one of the dumbest thoughts I've ever had. And I think you shouldn't have no sold it. Yeah. If you had just done the two pictures next to each other, no comment would have been a more popular tweet. You think so? I, I guarantee it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was one I, of the dumbest thoughts I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, and yet think, I'm still proud of it. I, I, that's <clears> what I'm saying. You, If you had been more full-throated okay. and confident putting it out there, okay. I think. Because I thought that at the time, I was like, that's really funny. I wish he hadn't undercut it. Okay. 
maybe I'll redo it. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah you can you know. do that. Yeah. yeah. No, I've fun. stopped. Uh, uh, I, I, I've stopped being surprised about what I put on Twitter that gets yeah. reactions <laughs> and what doesn't. Because sometimes, like you're saying, you'll have. I mean, that's a really dumb joke. But sometimes I'll have a really dumb joke, and I'll be like, <laughs> "This is the greatest tweet I've ever <laughs> yeah. composed." Yeah. Um, and then it'll get nothing, and then I'll say some stupid thing and yeah. uh, like actual stupid thing. And I've, I've gotten responses. I've gotten a few likes from when like some, you know, the 37th generic white dude who declares for president on Twitter. And then I'll just respond, please don't. And then people like, like him like, uh, all right. Yeah. Political yeah. stuff. De- definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I, I doesn't even have to be incisive. I could just be like, I wish Joe Biden weren't running for president <laughs> and yeah, scores of life. <laughs> I, I forget if I had tweeted this or put it on Facebook, but it was essentially like putting aside any kind of policy agreement or disagreement I might have. Mm-hmm. Beto O'Rourke just looks exhausted all the time. <laughs> he yeah. looks really t- like if you look at him, he looks really yeah. like he either just woke up from a nap or needs to go down for he, a nap. He would be more, he would be more likely to die in office than Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I mean, he's uh, probably tired from not landing on any actual policy <laughs> positions in his campaign. Um, it's, it's exhausting work to to dodge committing to yeah. anything like that. Um, yeah, uh, I'm so depressed about the uh, as someone who wants a Democrat to win in 2020, I am so depressed about the way that things are going because it's it's really early. Though. I know like, it's early, but know. yeah, I think they're just going to hand it to Donald Trump. Donald Trump is going to be reelected. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, he he fumbles things like he won the first time. So that, <laughs> no, that's that. true. That's true. But what I'm saying was, is they keep the Democrats, and I don't know why I'm surprised sure. because the Democrats never learn new lessons. No, but they have so pointedly not learned the lesson of Hillary Clinton in 2016 sure. by mm-hmm. making Joe by Joe Biden being the front runner, who was just another Hillary Clinton. Yeah, they've learned zero lessons. Yeah, but he's really handsy as well. Um, so yeah, you've not, got that. Yeah, not to, top of that. Yeah, not to mention yeah. his troubling voting history when it comes to racism and crime and the war on drugs. But, you know, oh, well, yeah, yeah, that's so another. But yeah, I, I do think, same thing. Yeah, I just uh, the. But there wasn't a big turnout for, for Hillary Clinton, partially because nobody thought Donald Trump could win. Now that they know he can, I think, there, I think there is going to be a turnout. But I think the, the thing that I'm not the first person to say this, but I've been saying this since, you know, November 9th of 2016, <laughs> is it is the the Democrats don't need to win over Trump voters in order to win. No. They right. need to motivate the people who stayed home, yeah. who are not the people who are going to be motivated by Joe Biden any more than they were by Hillary Clinton. <laughs> They're still going to stay home because Joe Biden and the Democrats, that not only have not learned the lesson from four years ago or three years ago with Hillary Clinton, they haven't learned the lesson of fucking Bullworth, which is 21 years old now. <laughs> they still take black people for granted. They still don't care about black Democrat voters. They assume that the blacks are black, black Americans are either going to vote for Democrats or not vote, and that's fine with them. And that drives me fucking crazy because if Hillary Clinton had campaigned to black voters, and especially in states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. She yeah. would have won, but she's a fucking just, watch uh, out <laughs> uh, I, just uh, the entire I, I'm not picking on Hillary Clinton in particular it's the, it's the establishment the establishment Democrats yeah uh, who keep so what you're saying fight, basically you've got this structure there's we talk about structuralism in film mm-hmm. but there's a political and historical term about structuralism where basically for so long the center of American politics was white working class small town people and the demographics have changed mm-hmm. but 
the establishment of both main parties are still behaving as if what was the center 40, 50 years ago is still the center of sure. American yeah. politics. Mm-hmm. And and that's why uh, the Democrats are completely getting left behind because they don't know what, uh, they, they don't know how to speak to what should be their own base. And I do think it's, it's the Democratic Party has been changing so quickly as far as like types of candidates and that sort of thing. And I think... Yeah, it's it's undergoing just as the Republican Party has been uh, something of an identity crisis because like we're in this position now where there are people who I won't say uh, in the case of the Republicans it was like this populism thing, and then in the case of Democrats I think it's a it's an age issue. I think there are older Democrats who would flock to somebody like a Joe Biden or a Hillary Clinton because that is what they know. And then there are younger Democrats and I'll say probably under 45 maybe um, who are more interested in, I would say like rather than issues of like economics or, or not that they're not interested in that, but like I think older Democrats are, are more in favor of like, okay, we got to, latch on to like sort of the white collar workers. And I think younger Democrats are more interested in the expanding demographics of the country. And they, they're like, be, how can I mean, we, and that's not changing. Yeah, that's exactly like, I, I think the, the study is by, uh, the thing that not the study, but uh, basically a thing that I read recently, I can't remember where is basically the idea that by 2040, it's no longer going to be able, it's no longer going to be possible for either party to ignore right. that, yeah. uh, the, the Democrat, the demographics, uh, have changed, and that's to me that's the beautiful thing about America is that America is so ad- the uh, the framework of it is so adaptable mm-hmm. that like um, y- you know things demographics can change the language can change all sorts of things can change and it doesn't change what is inherently American about America and that's why I think it's a beautiful uh, country and it's a beautiful experiment as long as we you know take it seriously right. and don't, you know, flout the constitution and so you're uh, sa- stuff like that. So what you're saying in regards to the idea of this structure and like the, what was it? The establishment, uh-huh. it's like this thing that just isn't moving. It's just stagnant. It's almost swamp like, <laughs> and you just want to drain it. <laughs> I've got the candidate for you. David. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, no, I don't want to drain it. Okay. I, just want, I, I just want everyone to move a little bit to the left because that's where the actual center is. The center of the political world and the center of the populace on most issues, it's not a, mm. there's not a cross the board thing. I understand that. But on most issues, especially social issues, the actual left of the, their actual center of the country is to the left of where the, the politicians and the political establishment think of the, what they think of as the center. That's all I'm saying is I don't want to drain anything because I still want, <laughs> I still want experienced politicians in office. Yeah. I think we've, the, one of the main lessons we've learned from <laughs> Donald Trump is that experience means something. It doesn't necessarily only mean that they're corrupted. I mean, obviously it means that to a certain extent, but, um, that's all I want is just for them to look up and go, Oh, we're supposed to be over there and just move a little bit that way <laughs> or a lot that way, depending on the issue. Anyway, that's what I think is the problem with not just the democratic party. I think the political establishment of the country, um, is out of touch with where the actual Americans are on a lot of issues. That's what I feel. Jim, your thoughts. 
I just don't want Joe Biden to be president. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, don't worry, he won't. Be. No, He'll I, be I the just, nominee, and then Donald Trump will be president. I just, I, 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 I still don't think that's true. I, okay. I think I don't know. I, maybe I've said this to you or tweeted you or something, but I am convinced that now Joe Biden has a great deal of popularity amongst a, an older white demographic um, in New York City, tying into our theme. That'd be kind of the Upper West Side crowd to be very into Joe Biden. Um, you know, the old old money, basically, sort of. But I do think if there is any popularity for Biden in kind of our demographic, which polling says there's not a whole lot, uh-huh. but I'm convinced it's because of meme culture and a lot of people that just saw him in funny memes with Barack Obama. So like, oh, oh, I like that guy. He was Barack Obama's friends. Like, what do you know about his policies? Like, ah, he's Barack Obama's friend. Yeah, no, those memes were were funny. Yeah. And what was that book about? Uh, it was like. Obama's Blackberry or whatever and there were like texts from like <laughs> it's like Joe Biden texting Obama like hey is it cool if I knock off at 5pm today <laughs> <laughs> and yeah and like all the onion stuff where he was just like this, yeah, it's perfect and yeah, watching his firebird shirtless in the <laughs> yeah. White House driveway and just like, I love that you know after the, the second inaugural like hey let's head on up to the roof you know um, <laughs> yeah. but uh, okay so anyway. um <laughs> Uh, is it? It's really warm in here. It is a bit warm in here. Okay. Yes, I didn't know if it was just me getting all heated. Oh, watch <laughs> um, just, you said it was warm, and I looked at my phone for some reason. I just <laughs> to check the temperature. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I guess, there's, but there's no temperature on my. Yeah, phone I guess right that, now. that's a. We, it's weird that smartphones don't do that. Right? My, I mean, mine normally does. I don't know why. Like, normally I can just look at my screen and be like, oh, it's this time and it has, like, a little weather thing, but it's not No, I understand the reason. weather outside, but I'm saying oh, no, it's internal weird that they, they haven't developed the thing that a smartphone, I don't know, I guess it would need to have, like, mercury in it. <laughs> that should be <laughs> that fine, right? Plenty of other shit <laughs> yeah, in it. That's, like, um, I, I can't see any downside. Do you know the, um, your air, your AirPods, I don't have AirPods, but you know the, like, wireless, mm-hmm. you can't throw those away. Because they might explode in trash compactors. <laughs> you're, just, <laughs> you're not supposed to put those in the trash when they die, which they will, sure. and you can't fix them because Apple is it's planned obsolescence and yeah. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yeah, you're not supposed to put them in the trash because when they go into trash compactors, they might explode. <laughs> Apple really sucks. <laughs> yeah. I'm in a bad mood all of a sudden. Probably because it's so hot. Is this what happens when you don't record on regular days? <laughs> Yeah, we are thrown off, I guess. Um, now, Jim, I've forced Tyler to get up and go to his uh, HAL 9000-looking uh, uh, thermometer on the wall over there. Um, so this is a good, a good, as good a time as any to... Uh, wait, did you have anything else? You, you had some announcements. You had two things, but I feel like there was a third announcement you wanted to make. No, no, that was... Oh, well, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I, I guess this is, this is not relevant to the podcast, but relevant to my life. I, yeah. I am recently engaged. Um, I, thank you. Yes. I, uh, came out here. I, I'm here on vacation. Thank you. Uh, my now fiance and I were in, uh, San Diego for about a week. Uh, I proposed to her after we came back from whale watching. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, did you see any whales? Saw a number of whales and even more dolphins. Oh, okay. That's great. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. If you had proposed during the whale watching, oh, no, no, no. she would have been like, I'm trying to look at the whale. Well, yeah. she, because, yeah. she also would have never forgiven me because she's, yeah. she's, uh, not one to kind of make a public spectacle okay. or, or that uh, kind of thing. So it was just once so it's we, good. We're talking about it on a podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she'll never listen. Um, plus nobody listens to anything I'm involved with anyway. So that's fine. I, I know I you, you, you guys uh, got to put this out. People are going to unsubscribe. <laughs> congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, I hope I, I, I feel like there's with people, engaged people that I've known mm-hmm. 
there's two sides people fall on people who try to avoid using the word fiance and people like myself who are like i've got about a year of engagement yeah. i'm gonna milk this for everything <laughs> it's worth i am gonna say fiance 80 times a day well it's more it's it's still so new that i'm just i'm in the habit of saying girlfriend right it's just a good thing i have to kind of train myself okay to, basically so betrothed I, I, we've been trying Ooh. to say affianced as much as possible. Yeah, oh, nice. Yeah, I like that. Uh, <clears throat> so we are we are linguists. Is that a word? Linguists? That's yeah. a thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we are fans of language. I suppose. So. Uh, kind of odd that you don't know if linguist <laughs> is a word. Listen, I. <laughs> That's this is I mean, that's Joe like, Biden, am I right? Like, yeah, yeah, all right. We've done <laughs> like it's uh, like writing on a pencil. It's uh, <laughs> like <laughs> we've done enough uh, fucking around here um, <laughs> talking about uh, important issues of the day. Sure. Uh, let's get to the bullshit that we're here to talk about. You mentioned our topic. <laughs> yep. uh, this was your idea. So well, why don't you tell us what the topic is? Uh, the, the topic is uh, basically I, I, how I pitched it was New York movies versus L.A. movies. Um, and I, I guess that phrasing it that way kind of makes it seem combative and David and Tyler agree that they didn't want to you know have it sort of take sides which is fine because seeing as neither of you have been to New York City I'm the expert I've been, on to, I've been to New York oh, City you've been? Okay. yes not, I have not been and <laughs> yeah. the fact that you're there uh, you know what it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be a jerk for the rest of the episode it just occurred to me it's been literally 10 years since I've been to New York but I've been to New York okay it's different uh, there, there's a Chick-fil-A there now okay <laughs> and yeah there wasn't Chick-fil-A here at that oh, time that's true ago. yeah um but uh, I'm trying to think what I what I did. I didn't go to any like uh, the famous, uh, you know, pizza places. Mm-hmm. I don't even think I went. Did I go to Grace Papaya? I might have gone to Grace Papaya. Grace Papaya doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it, did it ten years ago? I feel like it did. Right? I think. Uh, it may, yeah, it may. Have been, okay. Sure. I went to Nathan's. Yeah, the one at the on Coney Island. Uh, I did not go to Coney Island. Okay. No, I think I went to Nathan's at the South Street Seaport, which is uh, like well, all right, fine. Not, not exactly. <laughs> that's like the Navy Pier or Santa Monica Pier, of, <laughs> yeah, basically uh, uh, of New York. I didn't even literally didn't even lay eyes on the Statue of Liberty at any point during my like week in New York. Oh, sure. Um, I did. Uh, go see the hangover at a movie theater in Brooklyn. <laughs> so that's 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, and, that's uh, all the New York stuff. Basically that's, uh, yeah, I went, um, so basically here's what happened. My then girlfriend, now wife and I, like we had gone up the night before very late bars mm-hmm. are open until 4am in, yep. in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had plans to meet another friend of mine in Chinatown for dim sum at like noon, mm-hmm. which ended up being a very difficult thing for us to make <laughs> given how late we'd been out and how hungover we were. So I we went to dim sum, you know, dark, dark sunglasses, eating dim sum <laughs> at noon in Chinatown. And we had to be in Brooklyn that night for a comedy show at, um, Union Hall. Oh Yeah. And um, that's one with the, you know, the, the used to bocce be, ball court. Yeah, that used to yes. be my favorite bar. I used to uh, live uh, okay. near there. So we were. So it was like we had six hours until we had to be in Brooklyn and we were hung over and we were like, let's just go to Brooklyn now and find a movie theater and kill time in the dark <laughs> until we have to beat this comedy show. So that's how I ended up seeing the hangover. And my favorite memory, other than the fact that I think the hangover is a really good movie is that, do you remember the part in the movie when they're looking, I can't remember, they're looking through the suite for something and Zach Galifianakis reaches into the couch cushions and pulls out a slice of pizza. Oh, yeah. And while he's looking, he takes a bite of the slice of pizza <laughs> yeah. and like, Ed Helms or whatever is like, did you just eat couch pizza or whatever? And the woman next to me turns to her friend and goes, do you want to get pizza after this? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> do, do you remember which theater it was? Uh, it was, a, I mean, there's some sort of cineplex, like a multi-level cineplex in Brooklyn. So I, I'm not I sure wonder if it was, it was the a, Court Street Theater. It might have been. Because the yeah. Court Street Theater is sort of, even still kind of infamous for uh, its crowd participation. Okay. Um, like, it's the kind, I, I went to see, uh, it, shortly after MoviePass was a thing, I got it, and I did a double feature where I did Mother and It. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Mother, there was of course a lot of walkouts, but it in that kind of theater is the kind where just like you'll hear the guy in the back like, oh shit, like that kind of, <laughs> and like it's a it's a fun communal experience. Yeah, the kind fun. where it's just still not like unlike Times Square in the old days where it's unspeakable things are happening. They, like it's still the kind of like people go like you go there not just to see the movie, but because you want that specific movie going uh, yeah. experience. I, I love people talking during movies. If the, what they're talking to is just a reaction to the <laughs> yeah. movie, which was seeing John wick three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I saw it at the, the North Hollywood, the Cinemark, um, uh, on, on, on victory near Coldwater. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of, not audience participation, but a lot of just like people very vocally reacting. Mm-hmm. I don't know if either of you have seen John Wick three yep. yet. So, uh, well, I'm going to tell you, Tyler, spoiler, okay. there's a part where, uh, v- very slowly John Wick stabs a person directly in the eyeball. Right. And, uh, <laughs> that got a big, uh, yep. uh, a big reaction. The other part, which is n- one of the grossest parts of the movie, which has nothing to do with an action scene is, there's a scene at a ballerina, ballerina, ballerina uh, studio the toenail? and yeah backstage a girl's unwrapping her foot and then pulls off a toenail, oh. big toenail that <laughs> also got a huge with these people and, and it <laughs> seems like every, like it seems like there's only one sound effect for that that every movie like it's always the <laughs> yeah. same kind of like yeah. it, it sounds kind of like a band-aid but with a little extra viscera in it what are the other movies where toenails come off um wild is the first one i think of because oh, yeah, her, that's a good one. her uh, boots were too small and her t- she has to pull a toenail off i'm trying to feel I've well there are others uh, in the fly there's fingernails okay. yeah Um, as they're also in Syriana. Um, yes, but, uh, okay. Toenails. I I know that there was, it wasn't, it wasn't jackass. It was like, uh, it was Bam Margera's show. I don't remember the name of it, Uh, but his, uh, his uncle had like a gross toenail that they actually Uh. pulled out. Okay. Um, let's change uh, topics. One probably had a scene. Um, now when I was compiling my list Mm -hmm. of, great Los Angeles movies and what I assume are great New York city movies. Cause mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know the city mm-hmm. very well, but I have an you know, idea of what I, what seems, um, seems good, uh, or seems right about the movie. I, I found myself thinking of like, uh, sometimes the best movies come from someone who's from there. Yeah. Making a movie about their, Neighborhood, or you know, the milieu that they know well. You know, you think about do the right thing, yeah, or or whatever. And then sometimes some of the best movies are made by people who aren't from there. Do you know what I mean? And and who are coming and sort of taking a new, uh, uh, a fresh eye. If, it, if that now works. before we actually get more specific, I will I will speak in the broadest possible mm-hmm. way uh, about, you know, this ver- you know, New York versus LA. Um the uh when I think when I first thought of this topic, mm-hmm. I thought instinctively, and obviously there are going to be exceptions to this, it's uh New York is amazing and LA sucks. Mm-hmm. Based on of course there are exceptions to this. Uh but New York is, I think, seen as more inherently cinematic, uh, po- possibly because of 
Uh, obviously, Los Angeles does have a change in the seasons, but it's not as dramatic as New York. So you can get like a snow covered New York, or you can get a blazing hot, do the right thing New York. Yeah. Um, and and architecturally, I think people. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think the movie Los Angeles plays itself was, which I would actually weirdly consider one of the great Los Angeles sure. movies, mm-hmm. uh, even though that seems again like a pencil wrecking on pencil, <laughs> or like writing pencils, everything. Um, uh, makes a good argument that people um, uh, it, it's it's maybe because of longer held assumptions about what good architecture is or looks right. like that we think of New York as being more architecturally interesting whereas yeah. actually Los Angeles is very architecturally diverse and and interesting but it's just not very tall right I and think it's, and it's newer I think it's seen as I mean maybe understandably so but like a skyscraper is seen as a bigger achievement uh, because mm-hmm. it you know is it reaches into the into the sky and it takes yeah. a long time and so i think a a vertical city is seen as yeah. a bigger deal than a than a largely horizontal one um and so and that, this is not me I've, I've never been to new york so i can't judge it but mm-hmm. just based on the movies that i've seen there seems to be there are way more like love letters written to new york yeah. than los angeles mm-hmm. uh then there are there are a couple of exceptions there's only i can only think of one no i guess maybe two like anti-new york movies quick change <laughs> quick change is number one yeah. and i'd say taxi driver um, yeah um whereas los angeles but- they wind up being almost anti LA without even really trying like shortcuts. For example, I often wonder, I mean, <clears throat> the taxi driver thing, I, I put it on the, I, I made two lists for each city, right. the, the ones that I, for, for each city, I'm saying the ones that I think are good. And then the ones that are generally talked about as good that I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not, but I'm not convinced the ta- yeah. taxi driver. Some, something about the whole like grimy seventies, New York thing. I tend to look at it a little bit, uh, side-eyed, you know. I, I I tend to think even at the time there maybe was too much romanticization of that sort of thing going sure. on, and I don't know. So I don't know if that's really what it's like. Whereas a, a like a late seventies New York movie like Permanent Vacation, Jim Jarmusch's Lower East Side mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. that maybe uh, because it's hyper focused on one neighborhood where Jim Jarmusch and the people in the movie were actually living and and working or not working or creating that one feels more or wild style is one that's absolutely on my uh, great New York movies mm-hmm. list which is um not so much a great like work of cinema as it is just so specific and so vital to that beginning of the sort of uh, Bronx like hip hop breakdancing graffiti scene that was like really gestating at that time and wild style is this amazing uh, uh, what's what I'm looking for um, uh, movie <laughs> no uh, <laughs> or, uh, almost uh, anthropological document okay yeah. mm. in, in a way um, well anyway it's interesting because I, I, I think what you just said sort of ties into uh, how it seems to be what you have with New York and LA movies too, is you can kind of have the movies, which are the quote unquote, like these are, this is the real city. And then here's like the simulacra of like what we're telling you is what the city mm-hmm. is about, which I think, um, and people from even New York can uh, disagree with me, but I think that one thing that also separates like New York movies from LA movies, or even just like New York as a location versus LA is like when you're filming there, it's <clears throat> New York is a lot more kind of about interiors because especially when you're within the skyscrapers, I mean, 
on the ground level, it can kind of look the same, like a neighborhood can look the same as any other neighborhood, which mm-hmm. is, I, I think, why you can get away with filming in Toronto and making it look like New York. It's like, oh, because we have skyscrapers, you're not mm-hmm. going to see the tops of them, so who gives a shit? Like, let's pretend this is a city. Whereas you can recognize a lot of interior locations, such as, um, you know, the the uh, the Met in, like, Ocean's 8, where they have that big... Okay, uh, I didn't see Ocean's 8. It, it's fine, but uh, but you I've know. seen um, but, I've seen Grand Central Station because I've seen I've, I've seen every yeah, movie that exactly. takes place in New York, or, or, and they even have that too, where it's like, oh, you recognize the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty, but also those are not places that New Yorkers regularly go to either. Everyone recognizes Times Square, and you'll see yeah. it romanticized and like. But don't people have to go to Grand Central Station if that's a part of their commute? For their commute, yeah. But also, a lot of people that are commuting into Grand Central are commuting from outside the city, into like okay. Connecticut or uh, New Jersey, that kind of thing. So, uh, and, and there's there's also even sort of this thing that you kind of mentioned: New York, uh, New York is amazing. LA sucks. I think also comes from you see it a lot more in New York and in New York's art where born and raised New Yorker, whereas L.A. is much more like, I'm an outsider, I wasn't born and raised here, I'm coming from here. Right. Which is a little bit ironic, considering I know not many New Yorkers who were born and raised in New York. They all came from other places as well. Yeah. But it seems like you're more likely to encounter someone who, like, yeah, fucking grew up just down the street, versus someone, what's an L.A. accent? I don't know. Uh, uh, it's probably like a Latino accent, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's no. part of the, I mean, I don't want to get into, I don't want to be a social justice warrior the entire episode, even though I am in my entire life. <laughs> but maybe part of the reason is that sort of native Los Angeles tends to be uh, browner. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and and there isn't uh, as much of the, at least from within the city itself, yeah. because Los Angeles is a city that sort of, I think, boomed around the same time as, uh, or at least one of its booms was around the same time as like the suburban post-war boom. And right. so the actual city of Los Angeles, in terms of what you're talking about, that, the, that native population mm-hmm. is in many ways, not the population that tended to have their voices privileged for a long time. And I think we are right. seeing some changes I- I- in that. And maybe that's why there's been, uh, I'm not sure if my list bears this out, but maybe there's been some better Los Angeles movies, um, in the last 20 years than in the, mm-hmm. uh, time leading up to that. Well, anyway. Yeah. And that's the thing I, I was even kind of just, and there were so many points that I was making, like kind of writing out my notes, which I of course left in my hotel and don't have with me. <laughs> um, but even that that idea of sort of um, when you think of New York, especially outsiders, you just kind of primarily think of Manhattan, which sure it's you know the the biggest media market in a, on the East Coast, but it's also only one of five boroughs that make up New York City, and there is sort of a not necessarily artistic, but certainly kind of a philosophical difference between what you might see depicted as New York in Manhattan versus a film which is set in Brooklyn or even Queens mm. or something like that. Whereas um, the real New Yorkers, you know, the ones that I just stereotype with my accent, like they're out in Queens and like far parts of Brooklyn, like they were the born and raised people there. Whereas mm. Manhattan is a city which is getting so corporatized and changing. I know I, I don't care for Harmony Corinne, uh, but one of Harmony Corinne's big laments, you know, the guy who wrote Kids, which is a completely disturbing film, but also a little bit more indicative of what New York City was like, certain areas of New York City in the 1990s, his big lament is that New York isn't dangerous anymore. Uh, yeah, that seems like a... Uh, I hear that a lot. And that's, <clears throat> I do like Harmony Corinne, but that seems like a... Uh, 
a privileged point of view <laughs> to, to be to be coming from someone who was never truly in that danger. It's <laughs> yeah. easier to romanticize. Mm-hmm. And that's what I th- talk about when I talk about like Taxi Driver mm-hmm. or like The Deuce on on HBO. Sure. Like these sort of things that romanticize a time when uh, people were getting stabbed and mugged a lot. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like okay, that's character, but like you survived, so I guess you're okay. But it's I think I think there is. Uh, I interrupted. I'm sorry. I've been talking way too much. Okay. Uh, I do think that there's <laughs> Jim nodding enthusiastically. <laughs> right. Look, as long as you and I do the bulk of the talking and our guest from uh, across the country doesn't get to say much. Um, but uh, yeah, I do think, I mean, it, it's one thing to have an attitude of um, uh, like, Oh, this place is really nice. But when I lived here, it was a really terrible place and it, and not necessarily lament it, but also just acknowledge like how much things have changed. There was an episode of comedians in cars getting coffee with Colin Quinn mm-hmm. in which he and Jerry are talking about how much, uh, various neighborhoods have changed and that they're now like, they're like, ah, the hipsters found it and all that now. And they don't know how rough it was, you know? And, but I don't think they're necessarily saying this was a good thing right. uh, that, that it was good back then. But I do think that there is a tendency to romanticize like, like, yeah, it toughened me up. It's like, yeah, well it killed yeah. a lot of people. So maybe, <laughs> yeah. but it, it, I also think what they're saying is a valid complaint about people who think in some ways, those gentrifiers, those hipsters are, are doing the same thing. They're romanticizing something sure. that they didn't uh, actually <laughs> Right. live through or you know they're they're making a caricature of uh you know i mean there are and, and i'm as guilty of it as anyone as anyone as an uh an angelino i mean not a native angelino but someone who moved here in 2005 uh, hung out a lot in echo park and like in like highland park and stuff like that and mm-hmm. like was hanging out and drinking at bars that were like for decades had been like just latino like neighborhood hangouts mm-hmm. and we're all like oh this is so cool like <laughs> oh there's a taco lady outside and it's like yeah. uh and now that's become you know uh, a lot of the places sort of play into that and uh, and and i'm just as guilty of being like going into places being like i remember when this place was a real dive i liked it better <laughs> then but it's like what am i begrudging the owners of the gold room on sunset were uh, yeah. like becoming very successful because of assholes like me and <laughs> making some improvements to the seating and the lighting <laughs> yeah. in the place you know there you know uh we talk about my my neighborhood which is not a bad neighborhood it's not a great neighborhood either um i love your neighborhood oh do you yeah, okay i really do love your neighborhood yeah and it's and we talk about you know on thursday we record thursday nights and there is the ice cream truck that goes <laughs> by the, the soft serve truck and it dings and you know and it's it's clearly operated by i think i've seen it parked uh near here like okay. at the person's house like it's clearly owned and operated yeah. by someone mm. around here uh and so there are times when i when i kick myself for not that i've ever complained to the the truck or anything like that but it's just i can't think of anything more shitty and, and white than to be like, uh, excuse me, uh, Latino independent business owner. I'm trying to court a podcast, you know? Uh, so uh, it's not, again, not that I ever said that, but the, yeah, the yeah. thought in my head, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to get back to something that came up earlier when I was talking about the idea of like outsiders versus natives mm-hmm. and some, and whether or not it's honest or what, because it's something I almost surprised myself with in making my lists was realizing sometimes movies that aren't necessarily honest still seem like great movies, like great pictures because they're sort of like 
idealized dreamlike versions of the city. I feel like New York, you had that a lot in the 1980s, obviously when Harry met Sally, yeah. I think some people consider that a great New York movie. Some people consider that sort of a, uh, a, 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 you know, an amber hued, uh, yeah. <laughs> look, I love when, when Harry met Sally, but that wasn't actually one of the main ones. The two that came up for me in very different ways are Penny Marshall's big, which I think oh, is a yeah. movie mm. about like, I'm going to go to New York and make it. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. I can feel people who weren't like me, who didn't have my ambitions, mm-hmm. seeing that and being like, look at that. You can, you know, ride around in taxis and go to lavish parties and live in a get loft, loft up in the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, like it's spoilers. It you can not sort get a loft. Like, uh, uh, it, you know, maybe conspicuous consumption type of thing, but in a way that I think a lot of people aspire to that. And I understand I want to watch big. Uh, I think when we did our Penny Marshall episode, I said mm-hmm. big was her most visually accomplished film. And yeah. a lot of that I think is the way that it presents New York. But the one for me that had the effect on me, that didn't end up making me move to New York, but the movie that I think I always knew growing up that I wanted to leave St. Louis. I love St. Louis. I'm proud to have been, to be from there. I think it's a great city with a lot of great history and a lot of great character, but I always knew I wanted to go somewhere else. And I think the movie that solidified in me that where I want to go is the big city <laughs> was desperately seeking Susan, um, which is such, which is a movie about a board housewife who romanticizes this idea of this sort of, bohemian New York art, you know, mm-hmm. art, art crowd, the people who stay out late, the people who drink, the people who go to, who go to uh, concerts and go to theaters and stuff like that. Right. And she ends up getting caught up in that life. And it's like, <laughs> it's dangerous, but it's also kind of everything she wanted it to be. And I feel like that movie really spoke to me about like, I, I want to go to, I want to go to a city. Like I, that's why I ended up in Chicago and not New York, you know, was closer. And the film school that we wanted to go to was there. Right. But, um, <laughs> Uh, Desperately Seeking Susan is, I would say, not one of my. I think it's a great movie. It's not one of my favorite movies of all time, but mm. it's maybe one of the most seminal movies in like forming me okay. <laughs> of all time. It's so two thoughts on that. One, my fiance and I had discussed watching Desperately Seeking Susan specifically for this podcast, yeah. and we didn't get around to it. <laughs> so I feel I feel bad about that. But uh, it's funny that you and th- this is going to sound weird, and like I'm 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 being uh, glib, perhaps, but I'm not. For me, I think one of my formative movies for a city was the 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Sure, um, which Absolutely. was an independent film, that. yeah, yeah. Uh, that took place in New York. I, I don't know if all of it was shot in New York City. I'm sure probably a lot of it didn't. Um, well, there's that part where they go out to the they well, go the they go upstate, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and apparently the, John Steinbeck type <laughs> house. Yeah. 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 Oh, they even reference in uh, Grapes of Wrath. Yeah, yeah. Didn't I see this in Grapes of Wrath? Yeah, and they they reference that the warehouse is on Landman Island, which is not an island that exists in New York City. Huh. Uh, but it, it's a. Uh, but I, I think seeing that it's weird because it is a very visually and thematically dark movie, yeah. and probably inappropriate for children. Um, but seeing that was kind of like the, the weird thing I, I I took away from it was that there's the presence of good guys too like in that sort of thing like in this big city environment there's going to be some type of force i guess that's like trying to keep things in line or is like or is this moral bastion and you know uh, as a kid you kind of translate like oh that's the police then you grow up and like eh, well maybe not <laughs> not as much um but that was my form of thing too of just like I, I didn't believe that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles exist, of course, but, um, <laughs> but it was just this idea of like, this is the city and like, it seems scary, but it also there's things, people, forces, entities, whatever you want to call it, that's going to kind of help make things all right in a way. Although I think, uh, I know what you mean. And I definitely think that my image of New York was as a kid 
was based, I think, partially on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think that's a great call. <laughs> also, I had watched a movie called The Dream Team. It's not a good movie, uh, <laughs> but it's got a great cast. It's got uh, Michael Keaton, Christopher Lloyd, Peter Boyle. Well, that's a oh. real uh, <clears throat> dream team. <laughs> That cast. I'm, I'm just going to go. <laughs> you know what? I'll come with you. Uh, and uh, and it's about, it's it's kind of a high concept, you know, 80s comedy type premise where this uh, these mental patients at a mental hospital or uh, their, their uh, psychiatrist, like, is going to take them into New York to, mm-hmm. like, go to a baseball game. They're under his supervision, that kind of thing. And then he they have to like pull over and then he gets mugged and then of course these good lord the 80s anyway uh and so then the mental patients like happen across like these two corrupt cops who have to then like stop them but no one's going to listen to them because they're crazy and all that so uh the uh, cops are played by James Remar and Philip Bosco. So again, uh, Lorraine Bracco's in the film. It's, it's, it's yeah, <laughs> it's a real dream <laughs> team. <laughs> oh. uh, God, um, uh, even better than maybe the 1992 Olympic dream team, consisting of Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson, and who else? Uh, I guess Scotty Pippen had Scottie to be Pippen? on there. Yeah, Christian Leitner. No, you're, you're not outside of my areas of expertise. No. <laughs> uh, but that's and so that's the thing is they go Patrick into the, they go into the city right, and they deal with a lot of crime. But the idea here is that like even the cops are corrupt <laughs> and they and and, yeah. and the cops that they try to uh, report to are totally they just don't give a shit at all. <laughs> uh, so like that combined with you know uh, Home Alone two Lost in New York. I'm talking about like oh my god these yeah. are the movies when I was a kid. Yep. And it's this idea that that. Uh, yeah, there might be people in this large city, in the big city, mm-hmm. um, that are for you, mm-hmm. but the odds are stacked against you <laughs> and against them, yeah. and that there's only so much you'll be able to do. Um, and when you realize that, you know, both Gotham City and Metropolis are kind of based on yeah. on uh, New York. And and appropriately, their heroes are they, they're like different types of New York, <laughs> yeah. uh, and their heroes work appropriately. But in both cases, and I'd say the more relatable one is Batman, who, despite being extremely rich and having a lot of resources, is still just one guy against the entire city. Yeah, basically. You know, we're not doing. Uh, this is a bit of a digression, but um, yes, obviously, obviously, Gotham is based in New York. Gotham is like a nickname for mm. New York. Yep. But uh, Christopher Nolan really got it right by putting. Gotham in Chicago for a yeah. lot of stuff because yeah. a lot of the the picture of Gotham is an inherently corrupt place. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so tied to, to Chicago. Yeah. And we have we're obviously not doing an episode on Chicago movies. Right. But I would like to be, do a one. Yeah, that could be an episode. Right. This, was a ser- uh, this was a series I've been I'd been like pitching for a long time and then forgot. Yeah. But I wanted to do like a five episode series where we talk about different specifically US cities and yeah. the what are the, like Seattle, Boston, New Orleans. Boston yeah. is a is a huge one. Yeah, New Orleans definitely um, yeah, Boston, Miami. I feel like there's a lot of Miami movies, maybe. Uh, uh, and I was going to just say Texas, like okay. rather than a specific city, like yeah. there are a lot of movies up that takes place in Texas and are about Texas specifically. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get back. Um, yeah. well, I want to get back to New York. Well, I was uh, also going to say, ironically, it was also pressure for Nolan to film a lot of the Dark Knight Rises in Pittsburgh because in that movie, it's a city that everyone abandons. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's... Uh, uh, I was surprised in making my list. Like I said, the, the list that I thought were good and the list of other people thought were good. Most of the ones that ended up 
on most of the movies that I think were self-consciously about New York mm-hmm. ended up on the list that other people yeah, think sure. good, which I, by, by the way by that list I'm not saying these are bad movies mm-hmm. I like a lot of the movies on that list I'm just saying I don't know if they're good portraits of the city but I found that <coughs> in the self-consciously this is a movie about New York mm-hmm. Uh, uh, spectrum or whatever that that category. The top of the pyramid to me is Spike Lee. Yes, Spike Lee is made. He made Do the Right Thing and the Twenty Fifth Hour and Summer of Sam, which I think are right. all three really great movies about New York. I didn't see Red Hook Summer. I, I didn't. Uh, I haven't seen Summer of Sam either. But Twenty Fifth Hour and and the Do the Right Thing I've watched yeah. repeatedly. Yeah, um, I, know, so I don't know. I don't know. As a, as a New York uh, New Yorker, I don't know how you feel about. Well, yeah, no, it's Spike Lee. I, I mean, and it's interesting too because I I think I first watched Do the Right Thing like shortly after I graduated college and and was I don't I don't want to say unimpressed by it, but I kind of walked away being like I'm not sure how I should feel about that movie, and I've watched yeah. it again uh, fairly recently. Um, I think I. I think I, I rewatched it before, actually, when Rudy Obias was doing Spike Lee on, on the mm-hmm. podcast a, a while back, and I, okay. I've watched it since then. But being the uh, you know the, the like David, kind of the the social justice warrior, and someone who has kind of become more aware of competing uh, socio political and economic and racial tensions in the city, it's, it's become such a different movie, even though it's the same movie that I watched before. And I mean, you, you talk about gentrifying and how things are changing, and I remember kind of first watching it. There's a scene where there's a white guy kind of trying to walk his bike into his brownstone he just bought and they're like get the fuck out of my neighborhood he's like hey man I I bought this place I deserve to live here and now that neighborhood is probably all white people that have bikes bring into their brownstones that reminds me of a great movie that's on my list The Landlord from 1970 I don't know if you ever saw The Landlord with Bo Bridges where he plays a Basically, a super rich kid or a young man who has nothing to do and decides to take his parents' money and buy a brownstone in Park Slope, which at that time, which now Park Slope is probably the whitest it's place so, oh, yeah, you no. can imagine, but at that time was yep. very much not. Mm-hmm. And so he buys this brownstone and becomes a landlord. His plan is to gentrify it and kick people out and live there. But uh, it's it's a movie that I think is, uh, you know, this is a this is a loaded statement because people take it in different ways, <laughs> but this is a movie about racial tension that I don't think you could make. I, I, it says things I don't think you could say today. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is a good thing. Like a lot of that is because the conversation has changed. You shouldn't be saying yeah. some of the things then, but it is kind of bracing mm-hmm. to watch the landlord in 2019 and, uh, to wonder how, it, how, some of these depictions of uh, race and racism and privilege and stuff would have um, that seems so politically incorrect how they would have played in 1970 I imagine uh, really fascinating movie I was going to say that I did see that but then I remember I was thinking of The Super with Joe Pesci which right. is yeah. <laughs> an entirely different um, movie that's a very stupid movie <laughs> but it has one of my favorite lines in it which is the guy who says they call him the milkman and he says why do they call you the milkman he says because I killed the milkman <laughs> <laughs> um, that's funny. Yeah, that's, that's super funny. No, and it, it's it's kind of funny because I, I think like what is I, I was trying to kind of write out traits like what makes a what makes a New York movie, what makes an LA movie, and then what 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 are like the both of them, and kind of realized like as I was writing out the traits of a New York movie, like did. L.A. movies, too, are pretty right, much the same. Okay. I mean, you know, police corruption, um, a focus on, like, certain communities and how that, you know, it's either whether you're homegrown or whether you come from the outside and how those either rise to tension or the possibility to sort of have an insular look at just one sort of community within that. So should we transition then? Should we start talking about Los Angeles movies? Uh, well, I will say one thing just from a... And this is something that is mentioned a little bit in um, Los Angeles Plays Itself. One, I think, very... 
definitive difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a hundred percent, but it's notable. Like aside from the French connection, mm-hmm. I can't think of a lot of like New York movies where there's like a lot of car activity. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Right. Whereas Los Angeles, it's I, it's almost nothing but. But I'm glad you mentioned transportation because I almost forgot to mention what I think is probably one of the great New York movies, which <laughs> is the Taking of Pelham One Two Three. Sure, because. Now, again, I don't know New York, but from what I've understood, what I've read, what I've been told, is that The Taking of Pelham 123 is not only a great movie, but that it practices absolute geographical verisimilitude. That the, the, the line Which actually... Is, you just mentioned John Wick 3. That was one of the things that took it. I was like, okay, so he was just in like the Lower East Side. Like, no, and now he's in fucking Brooklyn. This doesn't make any sense. This, this doesn't <laughs> yeah, make see, any that sense would, yeah, uh, That would have taken me out of it like it did in Captain um, Marvel uh, if, <laughs> if it had taken place here. But uh, yeah, Taking of Pelham 123 is such a great movie. Uh, one last new York movie that this has nothing to do with mm-hmm. anything, but I was thinking of noted car moments in New York movies, uh, Ghostbusters, uh, because they have to drive their uh, the Ecto one. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it's but even then, like it just seems. I mean, I know that people drive in New York, <laughs> yeah. but if you were to go solely from movies, right. whether from Woody Allen to Spike Lee, mm-hmm. like. It's all walking along, and you know when there's one, when there's like one guy into the right thing who's driving his car. Like everybody, I mean, they it's Frank Vincent, so he's unlikable, uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, everyone like targets him, uh, and yeah, no. you know everyone else just so, walks. Well, yeah, that one of uh, a recent great New York movie that is about getting around in some ways um, without a car. Uh, or with a car and sometimes is good time. I think that's oh, yeah. a, a great movie that, about that, that really displays sort of the yeah. expanse and how, how yeah. you get from one place it, to another, which is a, a good transition to Los Angeles. If you guys, yeah, sure. uh, okay. I, I'm sorry. I just, I want to, as the New York guy, I just want to get a, a few more things in here. I would say, yeah, if, I'll circle back and do some honorable mentions of my own. Yeah, sure. I mean, for, for my money, when it comes to the filmmakers kind of like making, who, who more often than not is sort of making the movies of what would define a New York movie to me is Spike Lee. Uh, I mean, I, I love Martin Scorsese, but Scorsese, I mean, would you would you ever see a movie like Do the Right Thing or like Kirkland from Martin Scorsese? No, because that's not his exposure. Like, he, he's not aware of that sort of right. stuff. The only one of his that made my list is Mean Streets. I, I, well, I love Mean Streets. Because um, that feels like a neighborhood yeah. movie. But, but then, and the one final note, uh, what I love about New York too, and just I guess any big city is how you can have is like what makes a New York movie. Whereas something like Can You Ever Forgive Me from last year, I don't know if either of you saw mm, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is such a quintessential New York movie, even though the settings are like just kind of a little bit generic. But just in terms of the culture, I mean that that literature and like obsessive like book culture thing. The jazzy score was like so much like oh yeah, you'd hear this like if you walked into any kind of place in like the Upper West Side or that kind of like, and that felt like such a New York movie, even though there's nothing that screams about right. it. Like here's and you're like oh there's the World Trade right. Well, yeah. You kind of get the impression with that that like every city has this culture yeah. because it's not like necessarily hip culture. Yeah. This is like lonely, quiet, yeah. dusty yeah. culture that, that can exist in New York, where it's sort of like leave me alone. Like the city affords me it, like yeah. anonymity and sort of just yeah. like loneliness, basically. Yeah, some of my favorite movies about any city are the ones that. Like I said, when I went there for a week, I didn't even see the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Like the, I like that sort of look, and uh, yeah, that's a can you forgive me is a great example. I would also m- mention Jane Campion's In the Cut. Oh yeah, uh, that was as, on my list of ones yeah. I was gonna. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, so what I was gonna say about 
the difficulty of getting around Los Angeles is a very difficult city to get around without a, uh, around in without a car and Chinatown at least yeah. the second half of Chinatown is mostly about that it would, at a certain point his car gets <laughs> fucked up yeah. and then he has to spend the movie <laughs> getting rides from other people essentially yeah. <laughs> and I mean like to me one of the best uh, one of the best Los Angeles movies because I do think that for you know what I'm I'm about to paint with a broad brush and I might be wrong. I think for the most part, uh, Los Angeles movies, maybe until the last twenty years or so, um, I feel like most Los Angeles movies don't make it look very good, like visually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like I I tend to think I I return to like shortcuts, but then I also think of you know, movies, uh, by Paul Thomas Anderson and even a movie like heat, which is shot really well, yes. doesn't necessarily make the city look that great. But I do think in the last 20 years, like, I mean, you know, Michael Manny made heat, but then he also makes collateral, which I think makes it look, look pretty good. Yeah. But to me, Nightcrawler yeah. is like the definitive, oh, like, yeah, that's <laughs> a great looking yeah. Los Angeles. I would movie. also recommend, uh, you might've watched this. Um, did you watch Gemini from last year? No, uh, shot by a friend of the show, Andrew Reed. Right, um, that's a good, good Los Angeles movie. Did you see it? I, I did not care for it at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I did see it. Um, I um, yeah. I, I, but you're on record as not really caring for. Uh, not that that movie is necessarily mumblecore to go back to that term that <laughs> yeah. people haven't used in like 10 oh, years it's about to come up on I Do Movies mm-hmm. Badly again. is it really just, it's yeah. already uh, we recorded in the, in the can uh, another yep. look at mumblecore oh really yeah, yeah. yeah. this was this because I, I made a bet with David uh, about the Las Vegas Golden Knights Sorry, um, the Vegas Golden Knights is oh, their official yeah. name. So, sorry. Even though the city's called Las Vegas, the official name of the, the Vegas is the Vegas Golden Knights. That's exhausting. Um, I, yeah, it didn't noise the show. Yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I had won, he would have had to buy me a Criterion Blu-ray of my choosing. And because I lost, he was going to come back on and talk about Mumblecore again. And the, what's funny is you're... Yeah, you're... You placed a bet at a place that... If, if you had taken my bet, I would have owed you. Because <laughs> I bet that they got back to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. You were like, let's just bet they make the playoffs. Uh, yeah. And they did make the playoffs and then got eliminated so, uh, in the first round. I even knew, so, I, I even know exactly which one it was. Uh, I, and I, I keep forgetting the name of it, but it's that, it's that, uh, Paul Schrader one where it's like the mo- like movement. Oh, Mishima. 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 That was the one I, I because I had no that. idea about it, other one that people told me. So I'm like, if someone else is going to pay the money for it, you should have gone with a set. Um, <sighs> you know, like the, I mean, the, it's the all the okay. I lost. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned recent movies though, Tyler, cause I have found that too, that there's been a, or more recent Nightcrawler's definitely on my list. I um, will absolutely go to bat for La La Land, even though I know okay. uh, about so, some people have some some very sort of social issues with uh, with the movie's vision of Los Angeles. But I do think that that is an honest depiction of Los Angeles from that point of view. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with depicting it honestly from that and point of view. I, I do think that La La Land does for Los Angeles what so many movies have done for New York. <laughs> yeah. You know what like I mean? Romanticizing like romanticizing. It's a love letter and all that. And so, uh, I, yeah, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Well, um, in, in, Tangerine is a recent, uh, recent movie. The Bling Ring, I think is a recent oh, yeah. uh, movie. I don't know if we, Punch Drunk Love is probably too old to be considered recent at, at this point, but it's a 21st century movie at least. Can we, can we consider Terminator 2 an L.A. movie? Sure. I mean, I know it's okay. shot in L.A., but it's, but I, I almost wonder if I sort of equate with, like, Ghostbusters, where it takes place in New York, 
but also like it's it's not necessarily anything about it is specifically New York other than her apartments like near. Oh, that's Central interesting. Park. I think of the Ghostbusters as in New York. Very New much York. so. The way they're talking to the mayor and the way the mayor is dealing with like a crisis and all that. <laughs> yeah. No one steps on a church in my town, and then Winston says, "I love this town." Like that's yeah. a, that's a very specific. I feel like. New York and Chicago are movies where the mayor is more likely to be a part of the, <laughs> of the story. Well, than, well than Chicago, we know why, because uh, he's probably yeah. part of the problem. Yeah, exactly. There, there's um, a, there's a higher ranking government official in, in, uh, in the nice guys though, isn't there? I don't know. Uh, isn't uh, Kim Basinger's character sort of a, uh, uh, I, she's I, like a, I feel like in Los Angeles, more likely to deal with the DA, right? <laughs> right? So many of the stories about Los Angeles that are about its police department. Yes. That's, I'm almost quoting Tom Anderson's Los Angeles plays yeah. itself there. Is, is Which that, has one of the... like dra- Going back to Dragnet, like Los Angeles and the LAPD are inextricable, I think, uh, in the minds of most Americans outside of Los Angeles especially. So why, I wonder why, that it, why is this sort of like, a, like a, an L.A. mayor in like media is almost kind of like a... Uh, innocuous character or, or maybe even like I, I can tell you why okay. why I think it is um, East Coast cities uh, are where mob stories are set right it's mm-hmm. true if you look at and this is, I don't know if it's a controversial statement or if you look at the history of Los Angeles the the oldest organized crime the, like, organization in Los Angeles is the LAPD. And now saying yeah. that now mm-hmm. is a little bit glib. There's been some, some reforms. It's still a big problem with these like gangs within. They have little well, cl- I mean, the clicks. I don't know if the you shield was these. based on real life um, uh, events. What's it? The, the shield, the TV show, right. the shield. Yeah. The, the but, unit was yeah. based on a real life. LAPD. But if you go back to the early LAPD, yeah. it's literally true that the LAPD was <laughs> okay. the crime family running. the that, that was the thing is like, if you look at, L.A. Confidential, mm-hmm. Mulholland Falls, um, The Shield. It's like, yeah, New York and Chicago, that's where you get, and even Las, Ve- Las Vegas, that's yep. where you've got your mobsters. And then as they make their way west, it's like, okay, well, we're going to fucking kill you. <laughs> like, we're going to, and we're going to break the law to do it. Like, mm-hmm. we don't care. Like, I think Los Angeles, because, you know, so I, be, the United States in, in general is fascinating as you move westward because you it's a more recent country you know it's a more recent country yep. the further west you go mm-hmm. and so they're constantly looking east and saying okay what do we not want mm, to yeah. be but then of course in doing so they make their own mistakes uh, and so course, I think yeah. I think with Los Angeles in regards to I mean obviously there's the mob is everywhere but yep. I do think that's yeah it's I don't want to, of course, I don't want to paint with a broad brush when it comes to the LAPD, but it's really easy to do so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and that's, um, uh, so you really got me hung up on good-looking uh, Los Angeles movies. I didn't think about it that way, but that's a, a really interesting way um, to think about it. Um, and I would, I would add to the list a movie that is a great-looking movie and yet is still cynical about Los Angeles. Uh, and I'm talking about, of course, uh, Robert Zemeckis' masterpiece, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, it is my favorite Zemeckis film. It's, yeah. uh, and it's one of my favorite That's Los fair. Angeles movies. Uh, it's, it's basically Chinatown, but with cartoons. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's very, very beautifully, very warmly mm-hmm. shot. And yet it's about the... It's a, like Chinatown is a fictionalized version of real... It's it's more fictionalized than I think people realize, but fictionalized versions of real things that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is also a fictionalized version of, of you know neighborhoods getting mowed down to build freeways. That's yeah. something that has happened. And for uh, 
Los Angeles is use of eminent domain and grabbing land from people for government projects or government business uh, projects that extends beyond the freeway. You've got uh, like Bunker Hill and uh, the Chavez Ravine, which is where the Dodger Stadium is. Uh, that's a that's as much a part of our shameful history as the cops are. Sure. <laughs> and I do think, uh, you know, the more I, I think about it, there's a film that I find myself defending, even though I don't like it that much. But I think taken... Like looking at all the different pieces, I was say, more Taken sp- takes place in oh, Paris. <laughs> right? Oh boy, I really misinterpreted that film. Uh, but no, like this is a film that I tend to look at the individual elements because I think when you add them up, it's actually less than, mm-hmm. uh, which is Crash, uh, the Paul Haggis Crash. Okay. I think that is actually a pretty good looking mm-hmm. movie. Okay. I think it's shot very well, uh, and as far as making Los Angeles look, if not necessarily good, at least it makes it look cinematic. It's interesting to look at. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I would say that it ever looks particularly beautiful, but there are a couple moments where I think that's what he's what he's going for. Um, and so while I think Crash is a deeply flawed screenplay, I think a lot of the filmmaking around it is pretty solid. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think it's a good-looking Los Angeles movie. Well, and, and one thing, uh, this just occurred to me, but one thing I think that sort of feeds into that dichotomy of New York is awesome, L.A. sucks, is that L.A. also has a fair contingency of films and filmmakers that are specifically kind of making films about the the fakeness and the facade of L.A. Sure. I mean, whether it's someone like Robert Altman with The Player, where it's like, oh, this whole industry sucks. Or even like... Uh, Clueless even kind of has that like the clicks and the, the kind of like the, the teenage, you know, that that uh, a certain age of like oh, people that go to that kind of high school. It's like kind of the and with the sub the subtext kind of being like this place is so fake and this place is right. so phony. And that's like L.A. filmmakers who are doing that, um, which you don't necessarily have that with New York filmmakers, although uh, not to transition or anything. But I, I was even trying to think of like movies that kind of bridge the gap or have the two of them. The first thing that came to mind was uh, Annie Hall done yep. by alleged pedophile Woody Allen because he has the thing where he goes to L.A. and hates sure. it. Yeah. But then also... And he says the only cultural advantage is that you can make a right turn on a red light. <laughs> yeah. Which is a funny line and not true. <laughs> but um, also I literally thought of that today because uh, one thing that happens in Los Angeles people come from elsewhere and move here and they come from places where you can't make a right turn on a red light and they don't realize that you can and it drives me crazy when I'm stuck sitting behind someone who has their blinker on is clearly waiting yeah, to make a right, a right turn and it's just waiting for the light to turn green and that literally happened today but then there's the other side where I'm sitting at a red light and there is a no turn on red sign and I and the person behind me is just honking and honking <laughs> and it's like oh pay attention to the world I around you I always want to get out and walk over and like <laughs> yeah. point to the sign yeah. <laughs> that's the thing if I because I had the thought yeah, like why is my why is my arm so short like if I were Mr. Fantastic <laughs> the only thing I would use my power for is is to roll my passenger window down and point at that sign Tyler, if, if you want me to drive around with you for the next couple <laughs> yeah. hours that's true I'd be yeah. happy to help you out um, uh, but, but then also the and uh, Shane Black's Kick Kiss Bang Bang, where it takes place mostly sure. in L.A., but Robert Downey Jr.'s character is from New York, right. and he's got one of my favorite lines in cinema, where he talks about like what's up with the with like women from L.A. It's like this, someone took a map from the East Coast and shook it, and all the regular girl and all the normal girls hung on. Yeah, uh, which, <laughs> which is a misogynistic it, line. It, it is. But also, and, and rewatching the movie yeah. recently, like th- there's some really troublesome parts in this movie. But yeah, also it's a good, Shane, it's a good line. It's a good, yeah. it's a, I yeah. laughed at it, but yeah, it's <laughs> but mean. also Shane Black like is an L.A. guy. Like yeah, and, and so it kind of you have this thing of like these even these L.A. filmmakers are like this place sucks, uh, but they also love it at the same time well Um, I do wonder if there is an element there of 
not necessarily self-hatred, but maybe a certain degree of guilt, which is like the place that afforded them so many opportunities and so much success. And maybe they feel kind of bad about that. And maybe they feel like phonies themselves because perhaps they moved away from somewhere else Mm. or whatever. And so like, okay, well maybe if I play up the (laughs) shittiness of this place, uh, I'm, I'm sort of inoculating myself a little bit. Um, so I wanted to bring up something about uh, about Los Angeles being younger because I think when you've got when you've got great depictions of New York, not only do you have a lot of movies that sort of look back at the history of New York, like Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in America, you've got older movies, uh, somewhat older movies, you know, from the fifties at least. You've got like uh, I don't know if either of you have seen. Speaking of an outsider's look, Jean Pierre Melville's Two Men in Manhattan. Nope. It's a movie about French, like from uh, I think. Uh, Agence France, like a uh, newspaper who are embedded in New York, uh, who spent an, an entire night chasing a story and they actually shot all of the, the external stuff in Manhattan at night. It's such mm. a cool movie. Mm. Um, and then you've got like John Cassavetti shadows, which is like, sure. you know, early independent New York. Uh, and I feel like Los Angeles movies, I guess I'm already contradicting myself cause you mentioned Chinatown and who framed Roger Rabbit, but it does feel like starting in the 1980s is when there started to actually be like, Oh, there's a char- there are characteristics that are uniquely Los Angeles, or more more to the point, there are uh, um, communities. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? There are right. the, um, uh, subcultures. You know, so you've got first you've got um, decline of Western civilization in suburbia, which are about the SoCal. You know, suburbia isn't actually Los Angeles; it's like Orange County, I think. Or um, but it's, anyway. Um, you've got that SoCal hardcore punk thing. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the boom starting with boys in the hood of these, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, like hood movies, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, like, to society, Menace to society yeah. is another one. And then you've got Friday, which is a great, you know, yeah. a great <laughs> yeah. movie that boys in the hood and Friday, Friday are great. Like, um, and now I, I think ice cube even talked about like, you know, cause he's a producer and co-writer of Friday that after there had been this glut of these movies, you know, about South central was another one, which I've never actually seen. Um, like he wanted to show like, Hey, we had good times. Like we have good times <laughs> in the hood too, yeah. you know? And, and Friday is a great movie that also still feels specific to its neighborhood yeah. and is not ignorant of the fact that this, this is a high crime neighborhood. Um, and there are characters like Debo, you know, out there. And though I didn't necessarily like the movie dope, uh, from a few years ago, uh, I feel like that's, that's I liked one it a that little fits. more than you did, but I yeah. have, it's, this is one of those things where I have the same problems with the movie as you did. They just yeah. bothered me a little less, but yeah, I, yeah. Dope is a cool, specific movie in yeah terms very of much so. neighborhood and it feels like it's perfect it, exactly it feels like it's kind of cut from the same cloth as friday where there's a certain degree of joy well although the characters do often talk about how they don't totally fit in with mm-hmm. that neighborhood but i it's i don't know it's i don't remember the movie remarkably well they don't fit in, but I also don't think they're necessarily looking down on the neighborhood. No, not at all. Okay. But they, yeah, they, this one of my favorite jokes in the movie is that they, they're into white shit and the list of white shit includes Donald Glover. (laughs) 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 This is a pre Atlanta. So I don't know, but that made me laugh at the time. Um, so, uh, okay. Here's one. Okay. I wanted to mention, didn't want to not mention this movie because this is definitely like a, you know, white privileged point of view of the city, but I actually do think is a really great time capsule of early nineties, Los Angeles. And that's pretty woman, which is mm-hmm. a movie that, um, I forget actually, that takes place. Oh, cause they're at the huh. beginning. She and Lord Jacinta are prostitutes who work Hollywood Boulevard, which now, oh. 
you know, Hollywood Boulevard is still not uh, great, but it's much, it's, it's cleaner. They've moved off the main <laughs> street. The main, yeah. yeah. I mean, even like in Santa Monica, even, like, even then, the, you know, they've quote unquote cleaned that up, unfortunately. You know, the, the tangerine setting right. is there. That was sort of the last gasp of that oh. culture of, uh, which had been, anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> um, uh, so Pretty Woman not only has, uh, has that, but I also think it's depiction of Beverly Hills from an outsider's point of view, mm-hmm. um, is, is something that is not just, I, I mean, I, I would hate it if all movies were just all, all Los, Los Angeles movies were just like, we shop one day drive and we work out at muscle beach and we <laughs> swim right. in the ocean. You know, it's <laughs> like, I know it's not all that, but there is something to, uh, the, the uh, allure and the beauty uh, of certain parts of Beverly Hills. Sure. Other parts of Beverly Hills are incredibly tacky. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, it's because of weird uh, circumstances uh, that I, in my life that I didn't foresee when I moved here, I'm really familiar with Beverly Hills. <laughs> um, and so I, I think about pretty woman a lot when I'm at Rodeo drive, when I'm looking at the, what's now called the beverage, Beverly Wilshire Hotel. At the time, it was called the Regent Beverly Wilshire because that's one of the best lines in the movie, or not best memorable lines to me is when she tells Lord Sanjikamo, "I'm at the Regency Beverly Wilshire," and Lord Sanjikamo was writing, "Reg Bev Will." Got it. <laughs> um, and I always think about that every time I look at the Beverly Wilshire uh, on, on uh, Wilshire and Beverly. I do uh, think Wilshire Rodeo. Anyway, not important. <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, yeah, along those lines, there are, there have been a few movies and I'm sure it's the case with New York as well. In fact, I mean, with, with, uh, the aforementioned, uh, dream team, that's kind of what it is, but, uh, there are a a handful of movies about Los Angeles as viewed by an outsider. Obviously Beverly Hills cop is one. Mm. Uh, the limey is one. Um, but you're saying as where the character where the is main character is an outsider okay, I forgot to mention yeah. inter- something that Tom Anderson mentions in Los Angeles Plays Itself is Model Shop which is a 1967 mm-hmm. uh, movie directed by Jacques Demy who was oh sure uh, obviously a Frenchman uh, right, yeah. and that many consider a great Los Angeles movie I've never actually seen it but um it's fine uh, that's up there but yes uh, the line <laughs> is on my list for other reasons but yeah um and so I do but it's worth noting that the three movies that we talked about the idea of like an outsider uh, in some way um the los angeles that they're engaging with is like a a high like a like an upper class los angeles for the most part mm-hmm. um i mean beverly hills cop obviously is in beverly hills um, but in the limey it's but the, in the limey, yeah. upper reaches of the entertainment industry right. which is yeah which i did want to i know we've got other stuff to get to but i did want to mention that i think it is worth talking about the divide between Los Angeles movies and Hollywood movies, by which I mean movies about the entertainment industry. Yeah, like you mentioned, yeah, yeah, yeah. you mentioned the player mm-hmm. that is, I mean, it takes place in Los Angeles, of course, but that's a movie about Hollywood, like yeah. the business, the industry, which I think is, yeah. a, of I course, that's it's, still it's, in it's Los Angeles. It's also a Pasadena movie specifically, <laughs> yeah, a lot of true. it. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, as much as Tom Anderson gives Robert Altman crap in his, in Los Angeles plays itself about his depictions of Los Angeles. I do love that so much of the player is specifically about Pasadena. Yeah. And actually the movie theater where, um, spoilers for the player where he kills Vincent D'Onofrio, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, um, is the same movie theater in La La Land where they go see Re- Rebel Without a Cause, oh. um, which has since closed and actually had already closed by the time they shot La La Land. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, a little bit of trivia. But yeah, and so I do, um, I do tend to separate 
the two and maybe I shouldn't because obviously like uh, last, so like last summer and then this summer I, I taught uh, as a function of this thing called a st- uh, study tours where um, a bunch of Italian students were in town <laughs> And they learn about film and then they go to various Los Angeles locations. And so the idea is like, and they have this for other cities. And so they learn about like a city's prime, like the industry that it is most known for. So maybe I shouldn't be separating out, Mm -hmm. you know, like maybe I should bring in Sunset Boulevard um, into this or I don't know, like it just, it feels somehow wrong not not morally wrong or anything like that, but it feels incorrect to conflate the two. It's like yeah, me. it's like misleading because most yeah, this isn't what Los Angeles is like. A, this isn't what Los Angeles is like for most most Angelinos, and I B, I don't think the people who are living that sort of Hollywood life think of it as I don't think they swell with civic pride. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like they exist. Uh, I'm going to keep referencing Los Angeles plays itself because it's Tom yeah. Anderson also differentiates between Hollywood, the neighborhood yeah. um, and Hollywood. The term I learned from Los Angeles plays itself, the metonym, which is a place that actually exists all over the world yeah. and refers to like the movie industry and the things that are tangential to that. So then here's a, here's a question as Los Angelinos, which, which kind of movie would upset you more? The kind like, La La Land that kind of espouses like oh here's what LA and Hollywood is kind of like or a movie like I don't know Mulholland Drive where it's sort of like here's how cynical and terrible things can really be well that's still that's also a state of mind type movie (laughs) I I like both of those things what I tend to uh, react poorly to are movies that purport to be movies about Los Angeles right but that um, that that I think uh, lie or, or are dishonest there's one Interestingly, there was a very recent movie called The Sun is Also a Star, mm-hmm. which I think is uh, much better than the reputation it got, even though it has a infuriatingly bad ending. But um, as the time has passed, I've gotten more, <laughs> I've gotten less infuriated by that and more um, respectful of what the movie does that I actually do think seems like a good New York movie. But a number of years ago, Rai Russo, Rai Russo Young, the same director, made what I think is a very bad Los Angeles movie called Nobody Walks. Um, mm. And it was, you're already, unless you're being ironic, um, that title, and maybe mm. she was being ironic in the movie, it, if so, it didn't come across. <laughs> that title is going to make me mad because one of the biggest lies about Los Angeles is that no one uses the public transit here that everyone yeah. is driving all the time mm-hmm. public transit is so crowded here um, right and uh and so movies that uphold that lie i didn't like nobody walks for a lot of reasons it's a uh it's an echo park uh or so yeah i think echo park ish or silver lake ish movie that uh like the bar owners complaining about the hipsters or the comedians <laughs> no. complaining about the hipsters um doesn't seem to have any respect for the history of the neighborhood it's just here's what it is right now. Um, and then I'll mention another movie, which I feel bad picking on it cause it's such a small movie, but there's movie a few years back called Izzy gets the fuck across town. That's right. <laughs> that which you did not care for. And the number, I mean, there are a number of reasons. I don't think it is actually interested in the Los Angeles that it traverses, but also the whole premise would be what's what I'm looking for. Moot if she just got on a bus right. which <laughs> someone says why don't you just take the bus and she's like oh no one takes the bus and then it's never talked about again and it's right. like if this if you're getting to Silver Lake from Venice to Silver Lake which is the journey of the movie by the end of the day is so important 
then swallow your fucking pride or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And scratch over buck seventy five and take the fucking bus like <laughs> millions of people do every day. And the idea of people actually walking now in some in some cases it's like oh my car broke down so I guess now I have to walk. One of our favorite movies uh, directed by people we know the movie Entrance. Oh, and you're gonna say you're gonna talk about falling down. Well, there's that too. That's there's that too. I mean, that's that's I guess that is its own very niche uh, Los Angeles uh, movie. But that's subgenre. One, not quite as strictly as the taking of Pelham one, two, three, but another movie that is that mostly practices geographical verisimilitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it has to because the because the character is walking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> right. true, yeah. but uh, yeah. you should check out uh, L.A. Taco.com has done a couple of uh, these where they've interviewed location um, scouts from from famous Los Angeles movies and mm. then gone and visited the um, the locations. They did Falling Down, they did Heat. I feel like they did another one that I'm now mm. forgetting, maybe. Maybe they did Boys in the Hood or uh, Manchester Society. I can't remember, but... Um, there's a yeah, there's a really fascinating one on on falling down um yeah. and and how uh uh yeah just how how much they stuck to that that path from from uh essentially just just west of downtown like i think it's supposed to be like macarthur park area mm-hmm. where he gets off walking all the way to venice i, I do think that there are also more so but sorry, then, what did you going to say about entrance that I cut you oh, off? Oh, just that it that it's a wonderful uh, film, and it's about this this woman who is exposed because her car has broken down, so she w- winds up having to walk everywhere, mm-hmm. and. It's a horror movie about just being her being watched all the time, and she does she's not in the safety of a car, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I did actually want to mention speaking because that's a horror movie, but speaking of like genre movies, more so then New York and maybe even Chicago uh, film noir there's a lot of Los Angeles yeah. noir glad you got to that that was um, because once again defeating my earlier thesis about there being no good or fewer good older <laughs> Los Angeles movies oh yeah I mean uh, Double Indemnity Double Double is yeah, one of the quintessential yeah. not only is it the quintessential noir movie in many ways it's one of the quintessential Los Angeles movies yes. yeah um, but then also like neo-noir I mean obviously we talked about Chinatown but also The Long Goodbye um, and uh, The Big Lebowski which is itself you know kind of a, a pays yeah. homage to that mm. um, and, well you're going to get me into another um, sort of subcategory with Blade Runner which is a movie that sure. hmm, takes yeah. place in an alternate you know, a different, uh, different future, you know, alternate, yeah. a different universe than ours, but it has a lot of respect for, um, Los Angeles sort of landmarks, mm-hmm. um, using the, all the things that all the major, major ones. It's got right. the Union station. It's got the Ennis house. Um, was it the Bradbury building? Uh, the Bradbury building yeah. is, is in there. And then you've got, um, I think an updated version of that, that is not actually science fiction, but does seem to take place in a sort of alternate universe. And that's drive, uh, yeah. which is a movie that I think actually, as much as I have problems with how boneheaded, I think, uh, most of the movie is, um, <laughs> I actually think the way that it looks at places like the San Fernando Valley and the aforementioned MacArthur park, uh, which is where he first meets with, up with Christina Hendricks and, and stuff like, uh, Refn really does have a good eye and a lot of respect, I think, for the places that he's mm-hmm. uh, that he's capturing. And I disco- yeah, I discovered uh, through one of my students. So I uh, one of the places that I teach is College of the Canyons, but I've only taught at the Canyon Country campus. And apparently, Canyon Country uh, the the where the, the characters. I, 
they don't rob a bank, but they do rob a place. Yeah. And that was shot in Canyon Country. And one yeah. of my students was like, oh, yeah, that's like right down the street. <laughs> and when I drove by, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah of course. Awesome. So, um, yeah, uh, it's and I was thinking, you know, why are there so many songs about rainbows? <laughs> <laughs> That, just completing the lyric that everyone knows. Do you recall? <laughs> it's a it's reference a like, yeah. yeah two or three uh, I don't know, so remember how long ago. Yeah. Just, yeah, he's a real son of a bitch. Um, but, uh, okay, so why are there so many? Los Angeles, and even I would say California noir movies, because San Francisco mm-hmm. is used in noir uh, a lot as well, more so than New York. And I think it's because California was the promise. It's like okay. the American dream. Like, I mean, I think the the I think very simple answer is that um, Raymond Chandler and James M. Cain were well, Californians, sure. Well, sure. and they wrote about where they lived. You yeah. know, well, but, but I mean, it, it, but it is kind of strange when you think about it, because when it, when you think of film noir and neo-noir just kind of how it it kind of stemmed out of like a post-war anxiety and and it kind of talks about this idea of isolation and paranoia which new york is not uh absent of any of that um but yeah that i'm trying to i mean you you mentioned in the cut like that's a neo-noir that takes place in new york and done by jane campion but yeah i'm just trying to think and i wonder if it has something to do with the fact that a lot of noir does kind of hinge or or plot points will kind of hinge on loneliness or like a, a getaway or something like that um you know the, the secret you know hideout or the meeting or, or, or some type of place which is going to happen where it's like you know we are completely isolated here which is ironic because double indemnity the idea is you you can be alone in public and surrounded by people which yeah. is wonderful about it but um new york concern like it's no matter where you go especially in manhattan at all times there are people everywhere yeah and there's not you kind of have there's less of this idea of like a believability of secrecy um, and more of like an- anonymity is a bit better, but secrecy and, and just kind of hiding seems a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Um, and especially, uh, you know, this is a, a completely superficial thing, but there's not really alleyways in New York city either, which seems like it's a, you know, a, a lot of times is a, uh, kind of paramount for, um, crime and, and stories and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when you think of, when you think of like, uniquely American genres and that they do seem to, I mean, obviously Westerns, you know, those are going to take place in a very specific or I guess generalized, but specific (laughs) half of the country. Um, but also like, you know, gangster movies Mm. of the thirties and forties, there weren't a lot of them in Los Angeles, probably for the reasons that we were talking about, like they're more New York and Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, but then noir, obviously there is Chicago noir in New York, but like that was Los Angeles. Yeah. I feel like I stepped on what you were saying earlier, which is a really good point, which is the, the idea of it being the promise, the dream, like this, what I, when I mentioned earlier, the sort of post-war boom, like the suburban boom and car culture, you know, like, yeah, Southern California is, um, I mean, now the rest of the country thinks we're all weirdos. Um, but, uh, really a huge percentage of Americans are Californians and a huge percentage of them are Southern Californians and Southern California suburbia was kind of like you're saying, it was the dream Mm -hmm. that the, the very thing that noir was so cynical about or so pessimistic or skeptical about. And, um, to tie into another thing we were saying earlier, it's interesting how many of these great noir movies were made by people who weren't Americans. Yeah. Or didn't grow up in, you know, you got Billy Wilder, um, you've got, uh, 
uh, Crisscross, which is a movie that um, takes place in the Bunker Hill uh, neighborhood largely and is directed by Robert Siodmak, who is uh, an American but was raised in Germany. And then you've got uh, Pitfall, which is a, a perfect movie about like the guy who has the the exact life you're talking about yeah. and is so bored stiff by it um, that he easily gets, uh, you know, caught up in the femme fatales uh, net. Um, that's directed by Andre de Tote. De Tote, I think is that yeah. his name. Um, I don't remember where Scarlet Street takes place. I feel like that's more Chicago because I seem to recall there being like uh, an L train. So I feel like okay. that's either New York or Chicago. Yeah, um, but that's Fritz that's Fritz Lang. Yeah. Um, as is uh, the big heat, I believe. Um, but yeah, so I'm trying to. I think I there are probably other films, uh, Los Angeles films. Going to be. Scarlet Street takes place in New York. New York, okay. Um, but yeah, I can't think of a lot of other Los Angeles films. Uh, I can, because I have a long list. Um, let's see which ones. Most of them we already mentioned. Uh, Training Day. Um, oh, of course. Yeah. We mentioned The Long Goodbye and Mulholland Drive. We mentioned Punk Drunk Love. We didn't mention Magnolia. But I feel like just the fact that you and I recently did a San Fernando <laughs> Valley yeah. um, episode, we don't really need to, like... Uh, Paul, uh, yeah, and Boogie Nights. Is, PTA is yeah, yeah, yeah. he's this great uh, uh, San Fernando Valley eight one eight eight one eight till I die. Rest in peace, Brody Stevens, um, uh, director. Uh, so I mentioned Decline of Western Civilization. So yeah, I didn't mention Repo Man, which I think belongs sure. in that same um, that same uh, uh, Swingers. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people who are down on Swingers. I think um, because that milieu that it is about is so mockable you know <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like um but i mean that, the, the, the not only that it's the late 90s like neo swing thing but just the idea of the 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 struggling actor as you know handsome white guy who gets laid all the time and doesn't sure. really have that many problems mm-hmm. which i think is not giving the credit movie credit i think the movie knows that these are man children in a lot of ways i don't think mm-hmm. the movie is uh, is blind to that. I don't think that it's one of those movies that I think, uh, you know, um, uh, Tom Sharping of the best show talks about, uh, it's okay to like good fellows, even though a lot of dummies like it for the wrong yeah. reasons. <laughs> and I kind of feel like swingers is kind of the same thing. Like I, I think the movie is way more self-aware than people give it credit for. It's also a great, uh, Las Vegas movie. It was just, one of my favorite things about swingers is that it's one of my favorite Los Angeles movies, except the first half hour of the movie takes place in Las Vegas. Um, uh, so I mentioned tangerine, just like the Godfather is one of my favorite wedding movies. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so you mentioned the limey and I would say the limey in as far as how Los Angeles actually looks, which is kind of like the low slung bright, but kind of, grimy yeah. way. Blimey and Jackie Brown are two movies that actually look when I moved out here, cause I moved here never having been further West than Vail, Colorado mm-hmm. in my life. Um, and so when I moved here, the first movies I was like, Oh, Los Angeles looks like the limey and Jackie Brown. It doesn't necessarily look like, I don't know, um, pretty woman. Uh, mm-hmm. part of it does, you know, it doesn't look like it's not all Venice beach is what, right. you know, and, and that sort of thing. Like, I put, I'd put Pulp Fiction in there as well, but yeah. I feel like Jackie Brown is a bit more down to earth yeah. uh, than that one. And that's, what, and that's what I, I think as, as someone who is 
obviously not as familiar with L.A. That's that's one of the things I love about Quentin Tarantino, his films, and also just Heat is probably my favorite L.A. movie. Mm-hmm. And I know that Michael Mann has said he put certain scenes and shots in it that if you're from L.A., like, oh, I recognize where that is. But it's also not here's iconic, here's iconic, mm-hmm. here's like it's just kind of like if you, you, you know, I know there's the one specific shot when they're um, they're going to the uh, the. Oh my God! I'm the the chop shop, and there's oh, yeah. a specific shot just like of, of his partner pointing. It's like there's a big sulfur mound in the background where Michael Mann's like, if you're from LA, you know where that is. Um, I don't know if I know. David where that doesn't is. seem to know where it is, but, uh, <laughs> but um, what I'm trying to think, what is like, what is the Sydney Opera House of Los Angeles? Is, is it the Hollywood sign? It's the is Hollywood it? sign. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, or that uh, that that big skyscraper that's like circular. It's like a tower. Oh, it's, the, the, it's called the U.S. Bank Tower. Yeah, now. it used to be called the one. Library Tower. George mm-hmm. W. Bush called it the Liberty Tower, <laughs> either because he was prone to malapropisms or because he was trying to the, invoke the, bullshit patriotism. The Griffith uh, Observatory, anyway. I think, to a certain degree as well. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. Well, Rebel Without a Cause is on my mm-hmm. list um, mm-hmm. as uh, a great Los Angeles movie. Uh, I also wanted to mention Them, the giant ant movie, sure. which only the <laughs> only like the third act takes place in Los Angeles, okay. but. I feel like you, I mean, you mentioned Terminator 2, the idea of our uh, empty concrete man-made river and the big sewer system where so much stuff has been shot since <laughs> yeah. then, like them kind of broke down the door on that. They mm. were, that was the first movie to take place in that part of the Los Angeles underground. And so I think, I do think them is an important Los Angeles movie. It's funny. So I mentioned Latinos earlier and then barely talked about any Latino movies. So I want to uh, call out Miguel, Miguel Arteta's star maps and, um, real, real women have curves, which I think is an imperfect movie in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. definitely as a, as a document, I think is a, a really good movie. And then this one's just out of left field. This is a movie that I know Tyler loves that I think is uh, that I, I have come to like a lot. Um, it's a good Hollywood movie and a good sort of outside Hollywood movie, kind of like get shorty in that way, which might, sure. come, but I'm actually talking about Bowfinger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, I mean, speaking of Steve Martin, LA story, but I feel like that's enough of a Hollywood movie, yeah. but it's, I mean, it's, but Bowfinger is, I think looking at, because the character, the Steve Martin character is someone who wants the yeah. big dream, you know, uh, Los Angeles life. Um, and is much like, he's like Gene Hackman's character, uh, in get Jordy in some yeah. ways. He's a producer who's sort of outside of the mainstream. He's in that grimy, low slung part. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you've got, um, the Pacific design center, which is a yeah. crazy building that I feel like, uh, I had seen in Bowfinger and then I moved here and I was like, Oh, I guess that's a real place. I mean, it's, it's not what it, it's like a, in Bowfinger, it's like a Scientology type headquarters. Mind head. Mind head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whereas here it's like a, and they have a screening room in there. That's why I saw Churchill. Yeah. I believe. I've been in that screening room forever. Um, but what exactly is the Pacific design? Center? I don't it's know. Like a museum I, I'm slash a, store. I would like say mall? it's a front for the mob, except we know there's no mob here. <laughs> um, so those are my, I want to circle back when we're done and do my New York honorable mentions, sure. but those are my, all my Los Angeles honorable mentions. But you forgot the best one of all to live and die in LA. I intentionally didn't put that <laughs> on my list. I also have um, not seen it. I just know that was that, in, it's a good movie. It was, that was I in think. Friedkin's less respected, uh, career phase. Uh, I, I mean, the movie has some good stuff in it. I, I think I didn't appreciate it when I was young and I saw it mm. because I think we've talked about this before when you're sort of first getting into film, mm-hmm. you know, you're first realizing like, Oh, I'm a film buff. You stent, you tend to be a little bit too self serious, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So stuff that is uh broad or corny, you know, is automatically sort of gets sure. deleted. And I <laughs> yeah. think melodrama um, becomes a yeah, bad word. Yeah. yeah. And so, 
to live and die in LA is so hammy that I don't <laughs> think I liked it at the time, but now I think I would like it mm-hmm. uh, a lot more, but it, it definitely has. I mean, uh, well, first off, um, uh, who's the lead? What's his name from, uh, William Peterson, uh, William Peterson, I, I think is someone I've been saying this for a decade now, but the way that Quentin Tarantino like revived, like, you know, John Travolta's career or like <laughs> mm-hmm. Pam Greer's career. Like I would love Quentin Tarantino to write a badass villain <laughs> role for William Peterson. Like, that would be <laughs> awesome because I think people have forgotten that William Peterson is cool. Um, and in, well, in, in, in Delight, very and, cool. But yeah. that's what I'm saying. People know him now is CSI where he yeah. was, uh, uh, like he would occasionally be badass, but he was yeah. mostly a nerd. He's a science nerd who is also a roller coaster enthusiast. Who is one of my favorite <laughs> things about the character from CSI. But um, I would love to see. And yeah, we talked about. Uh, I talked. You know, you mentioned Pulp Fiction. I mentioned Jackie Brown. I don't know. Obviously, we haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm, Are we looking right. forward to it? Uh, do we think it will be a good Los Angeles movie, or is that? Uh, probably honestly. Point? And, okay. and I think it'll be good. I, I, I'm sure I, yeah, I like his movies. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, I'm, I'm a, like even everything that happened with, uh, Tarantino and his revelations about Harvey Weinstein, all that kind of stuff. I'm still, I, I look forward to a Tarantino film. Yeah. Uh, I, and especially because I didn't especially care for the hateful eight. So I'm looking for something to kind of get back yeah, that's on track I mean, for me. I really respect the hateful eight as my least favorite probably, or I don't know if it's my least favorite. It's the hardest of his movies for me to watch. And Reservoir Dogs is kind of like that too, because there's so much ugliness on screen. Yeah. Um, that it, it does upset me. I do think with hateful eight, I think he is aware of the ugliness. I can't guarantee that with Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> yeah. He was maybe yeah. a little younger, more callow. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know if this makes any sense. I think hateful eight is one of the best ones he's ever directed and one of the worst that he's ever written. Uh, I don't okay. think this, I don't think the script holds up very well, but there's some sequences in it. I think that even you know projecting it the way he did is like okay, he knows. It's the first one he did where Sally Menke was not his editor, right? Well, I thought no, uh, was, or was that Django? I think Jan- yeah, that was Django. Django. Okay. I think that was Django. All right, which I love. I love Django. I go back and forth as to whether Django or Inglorious Passage is my favorite of his movies. Anyway, we're off to yep. anybody else. Let's do. Let's round up any other LA movies we wanted to talk about, if there are any, and then we'll jump. I, I want to do some New York sure. mentions that I left off. Okay. Yeah. I'll mention, uh, Francis Ha. Sure. And to some extent, miss, uh, mistress America. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not a big, not the biggest Noah Baumbach fan. Okay. Um, yeah, Tyler scornful, uh, <laughs> American psycho, which is a movie that's kind of I, about I, a, I, a kind of New York. I had that. And it's, and it's funny cause it's about a specific type of, of group in New York. And, uh, but it's so incredibly cynical towards him. Yeah. Just recognizing like how fucking terrible these kind of people are, which uh, is also wonderful. I think just because like you couldn't have necessarily gotten what Mary Heron got out of it. It was just, if it was just another guy, cause it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm right. tearing down the boys club. And I'm, which speaking of Mary Heron, she just, I haven't seen it yet, but she just made a Charlie Manson movie. Hmm. Uh, I, Charlie says, I, I wanted to um, see it. I, I heard it was fine. Yeah. But I, uh, I don't know. Mary Harry on, on the other coast. Yeah, yeah. Charles Manson. Um, okay, so uh, I said American Psycho. My dinner with Andre. I can't believe we didn't mention my dinner with oh, Andre. Yeah, that's right. Um, um, Margaret. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's an old time or not a, a, a period piece. Mrs. Parker in the Vicious Circle, which is, I think right. one of those movies that's. <clears throat> Uh, it's about a dream of New York. <laughs> you know, it's about like, you, you can't live anywhere. Like, you can't go hang out mm-hmm. with Dorothy Parker at the, at the Algonquin round table. But I think to a certain type of, 
um, you know, artsy-minded, theatrically-minded uh, kid who thought he was probably smarter and more sarcastic and funnier than he was, Mrs. Parkman, the Vicious Circle, seemed like, what a dream. I'd love to go <laughs> yeah. hang out with him. Um, another period piece, Brooklyn. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know how authentic oh, yeah. it is because I wasn't there. None of us have been there. But uh, and the last one I want to mention, which is a somewhat recent discovery for me, is Joan Micklin Silver, Silver's Crossing Delancey, which is a romantic comedy um, starring uh, Amy Irving and everyone's favorite rom-com leading man, Peter Riegert. Um, <laughs> Uh, but that also takes place. It's very specifically about the lower Manhattan Jewish community mm-hmm. uh, and Amy Irving's character being someone who has come from that, but it's very pointedly has moved to the Upper West Side as part of the sort of uh, literary community up up there. And she's like in love with this sort of famous writer um, played by your own Krabby. I had a I was. <laughs> I was corrected when I said his name recently. It was your own Krabby. Um, uh, and, but then her grandmother is trying to set her up with Peter Riegert, who's someone from the neighborhood who she is repeatedly resistant to pretty much because she doesn't want to deal with that part of herself. She wants to see herself in her new situation on the Upper West Side and not where she came from in the Lower East Side Jewish community. It's a really, really good movie. It's also very, very funny. Mm. And Peter Riegert is, uh, I think, a surprisingly viable leading man. <laughs> he's, he's so charming in this movie. Uh, so a few that I'll mention, one is a film that came out a couple years ago that I loved called Menashe which um is about like the the yeah, Yiddish uh community uh but that and it's and it's interesting because that's one where it's so insular mm-hmm. uh to that and yet it still it feels like a very New York movie but it's a part of it's it's like if if the Amish lived in the middle of the city like it's <laughs> it's fascinating um and then uh, I would say both versions, one of them not so good, uh, of the out-of-towners, uh, where the whole nature of oh, it is okay. they have to engage with New York in various ways. Um, I feel like I feel like there was one other that I wanted to mention. I mean, along the lines of, of something like uh, American Psycho, obviously Wall Street mm-hmm. uh, is one of mm-hmm. them. But, um, and then this is a movie that I don't particularly like, except for a couple things here and there. But... You know, Martin Scorsese has made a lot of New York movies, including Gangs of New York, yep. um, uh, yeah. which is a deeply flawed movie. Yes. Um, and it's but that's one that I, I think one of the things that it's one of its flaws is also something that I tend to respect, which is that it's very ambitious. Yeah, uh, it kind of tries to be everything you know it tries to be this it's this period piece but it also is about obviously these gangs but also nativism versus and and xenophobia while also dealing with like tammany hall and boss tweed and like it's just and then what comes with that which is like corrupt cops it's just trying to do everything (laughs) um but i think i think I don't actually know this, but I could see uh, Martin Scorsese making the argument that because it's New York, you can be that ambitious Mm -hmm. and have one story include all of that. Yeah. Um, Because uh, New York, I mean, obviously it's a big city, but again, it's a, it's a vertical city. And so everyone's really just kind of crammed together. uh, (laughs) And so, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's all I can think of. Well, we should probably wrap up because I, uh, as I told you guys off mic, I have a heart out and we're coming up on it. Okay. Um, 
I feel I feel like we had a lot of really good discussions. Yeah. today. I in terms of just the the last call for uh, honorable mentions. Um, okay. After Hours is another Scorsese film, especially mm. in New York, that kind of New Yorkers love. Um, and some older films, um, The Apartment, which I, I wanted to talk sure. more a little bit about that. I mean, and not saying I'm going to, but that's amazing to me because of how Billy Wilder can. I mean, you got The Apartment in New York, and you got a lot of other stuff in LA, and mm-hmm. how he is able to speak to the anxieties and the the problems with both of them is like, oh, oh my god, this guy yeah. was brilliant. Um, and then also another older one, uh, The Sweet Smell of Success, which takes place in New York, yeah. has, has kind of like. It's not a noir, but there's kind of like noir elements yeah. to it, yeah. Um, which is a, a, a wonderful film that that was that was one that I saw in film school. I'm just like, oh my god, I didn't know scripts could be like this. This is amazing. Um, and that's it. That's literally all the New York movies. All right, we've named them all. <laughs> um, so. Uh, uh, let's see. You can find me and Tyler. You can find us at Battleship Pretension. This week on the site, I had this pulled up. Let's see. Just a few things. Alex wrote about um, uh, Marcel Ophel's The Sorrow and the Pity for uh, his his uh, Criterion Predictions uh, column. Uh, we got reviews of Mouthpiece, which is a movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this happened when I first posted my review back in September, and now it's happening again. There's a thing that I say in describing the plot of Mouthpiece Mm. that is incorrect. I know it's incorrect. In the next paragraph, I say there's something I'm not revealing. The Uh, point is that I'm trying to preserve the twist. Right. But everyone, I guess, who has seen the movie and doesn't read my full review, then wants to comment on the thing or or contact me in some other way and say, you didn't understand the movie because you did. I know what I was doing. I was intentionally (laughs) trying to preserve a movie's reveal. I love okay. the idea of like, uh, like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm being kind of cagey in my, uh, description of the sixth sense. And then someone's like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> I think you really misinterpreted this. Yeah. It's, and it, but this is a different thing. It's not like a twist, right? It's, it's something a that happens. And it's sort of, I imagine, and I, this is also something that I say in my review. I imagine that different people will realize what's going on at different parts of the sure. piece. It, it, it doesn't really lie at any point. It just doesn't tell you what's going on right away. And so over the course of the movie, you might go, Oh, I see, you know, so I that's why I didn't want to reveal it. Okay. Some people might have it figured out by the end of the first scene. It took me like three scenes. Anyway, um, is the reveal what's on the other side of the rainbows? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Scott reviewed Domino, the new film by Brian De Palma. Craig reviewed a documentary called for the birds. I reviewed Daniel Khan's the fall of the American empire and, uh, Domingo Sotomayor's Too Late to Die Young and uh, Alex is roaring back with the trailer project looks at the trailers for uh, Dennis Hopper's The Last Movie and Ana Asensio's Most Beautiful Island that's all all that and more is on the website right now check it out you can if you want you can email us at david at battleship or tyler at battleship you can follow me on twitter at davy pretension uh, that's where you can let me know you didn't like my mouthpiece review you can follow tyler on, on twitter at tyler pretension uh, or tyler you've got another website and podcast called more than one lesson that's right going on there uh nothing really right now unfortunately um i will say the guys at uh, the fear of god are uh have been just tearing into this series on uh, stephen king uh both movies okay. based on his books and also his his books oh, including books that i i haven't even heard of oh, <laughs> like really? it's yeah like he has just cranked out so much material yeah. that yeah. they're like oh we're gonna do a whole episode about this i was like i don't i don't know what that is <laughs> uh yeah there's a bar trivia question of the week about cell and i was like the only person who knew that cell was a stephen king oh novel. wow yeah oh um, yeah that's right uh 
All right. Um, and of course, I haven't mentioned uh, this week on the Patreon, uh, we discussed, we, we answered some listener questions, including questions about uh, currently working actors and actresses that we think yeah. uh, deserve more respect. Um, Elias Codius. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It all comes around, full circle. And uh, Jim, where can people find you and your wonderful podcast on the internet? Uh, well, the podcast, whether it's wonderful or not, can be found at uh, either idomoviesbadly.podbean.com or you can go to battleshipretention.com. Yeah. That's which what is, we'd prefer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I buried the lead there. <laughs> yeah, well, this is what you get when a New Yorker comes on your podcast. Fair enough. Um, yeah, just go to battleshipretention.com, go to the podcast drop down menu and find I Do Movies Badly. That's where you can chime in in the comments field which literally one person has done um i don't know who this person is but uh their name is uh, fiction isn't real yeah, yeah he, he comments, comments on a lot. everything <laughs> on the way I, i'm not complaining no it's great i love that we have uh, some great. good comments i like i wish i could engage with every one of his comments mm-hmm. i can't but uh yeah fiction isn't yeah. real battleship uh, retention more than one lesson you're a oh, yeah? star he's got opinions I, no, I, I, fiction I, isn't real, as far as i know BP he, power comment yeah there, uh, there's he become him and like a few other people on my facebook page like ones that like kind of regularly chime in and I, I do yeah. appreciate it but uh what's going on there is in may uh i'm in a little bit of a lull right now because of vacation i'll be coming back soon but in may i was doing the non-living dead films of george romero um fiction which real. included uh monkey shines right monkey shines wasn't uh. there it, it, it was yeah it was a uh, season of the witch monkey shines and his half of two evil eyes I was going to say two evil eyes. I loved because in making the post for the website, I got to choose a truly disgusting image, yeah, which is from Dare Argento's part. Okay, well, yeah. So, but it's it's fine. Um, and then still uh, technically works. Yeah, yeah. And then in June, uh, I'll be rediscovering or revisiting Mumblecore with uh, David Bax. As, yeah, as we already guest. recorded the intro. Have yeah. you watched any of the movies yet? No, not yet. Okay. So, <laughs> what are some of so? Uh, what are some of the topics that you've talked about on I Do Movies Badly that you've hated the most? Uh, well, Mumblecore was 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 pretty much at the top of the list. Um, surprisingly, I think I'm going to change your mind. I think yeah. you got because uh, you had a very idiosyncratic guest who gave you some very idiosyncratic choices. That's very true. Um, but uh, I gave you some sort of more Mumblecore yep. mainstays. No, you, you did that. Yeah. Um, surprisingly, I didn't care for Dare Argento that much. Okay. Um, I guess I find <laughs> the the mis- misogyny of Jalo just kind of not appealing to me. Um, and just who could imagine <laughs> just many other <laughs> things. Um, I won't say I disliked his stuff, but, uh, Ingmar Bergman, I just did not connect with. Right. Um, similarly with, uh, Tarkovsky, it was just there. I, I, and I say this shamefully, I was literally falling asleep during watching some of those movies. Um, and I think if you listen to my episode on the mirror, it's just 25 minutes of me saying, I don't know how to say, I don't understand what's happening. Um, okay. But yeah, uh, but since I, I've kind of had the relaunch, I did take a break for a while. I didn't think I was going to bring the podcast back, and I did. Yeah, and I'm happy I did so. But since it came back, I, I've my approach to it has kind of been a bit differently. That's I just mixed up. Yeah, my yeah. approach has been different. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Um, but I've I've really enjoyed doing it. I've been trying to kind of even the stuff I don't enjoy, just trying to take something out of it as like well. I, I learned this and I didn't know that. Before. It's one of my favorite podcasts to be a guest on for purely sadistic reasons. Uh, it's <laughs> but, a lot of fun, <laughs> but yeah, I, um, yeah. I, I, I think I've told you, I already have my next thing picked out, which are movies that I think you'll like, but if you don't, it'll be fun because they're all like three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> That's there. When I'll say this, when you're a teacher and these kids have to watch this, uh-huh. it is. And 
for the most part, it's like, okay, we'll start off with stuff that they, mm-hmm. that I think they'll like, and then I'll gauge and like, Oh yeah, you have kind of a shitty attitude. So you know what? <laughs> we're going to watch the director's cut of JFK. That's what we're doing <laughs> Is that, to talk. That, that exists. It sure oh, yeah. does. Oh, and it's like three hours and 18 minutes. Yeah. Um, sorry. Did you mention your Twitter? Or anything uh, my, my Twitter is Nolan fixes teeth. Uh, go on there only to find my tweet from March 1st about the invisible man and like it. <laughs> yeah. Like that. It's, it's, I think it's a funny joke, but well, thank you for coming all the way across the country for two reasons to propose to your fiance yep. and to be on battleship retention. Yep. Uh, and, um, thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 